Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. The worst terror attack since 9-11. The first of the two explosions rocks the sidewalk along the course. White smoke blasting into the air. Police testifying both brothers were shooting at and throwing pipe bombs and one pressure cooker bomb at them. In prison, like the Boston Marathon bomber, on death row, people who are convicted of sexual assault, they should be able to vote? I think we should have that conversation. You think the Boston Marathon bomber should vote not after he pays his debt to society, but while he's in jail. You sure about that? You know, this is what I believe. Do you believe in democracy? And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 29th of April, year of our Lord, 2019. Going a day early because I didn't do the Saturday. Got caught up in stuff. And oh my God, spoiler alert. At the end of this podcast, I'm going to cover Episode 3, Season 8, Game of Thrones. It's the first time I've ever stayed up and watched it. I'm going to try to be braggarly. I've been to war, and I don't think my heart beat as fast during firefights than in that show. That show was amazing. So I'll do it at the very end, and I'll say all those that don't want to listen, shut this damn thing off. Because... um, it was good. That's the best TV I've ever watched. I mean, just ever. That that's a TV show. It's definitely better than most movies. So uh, today we're going to go through uh, a lot of simple stuff. No real segments, you know. We're going to do some hate tweets and new social media nuggets. No violent left, but we're going to cover some of the major subjects that are going on today and clear the deck. And we start with the voting for terrorists, as you could hear there. You know, they they think it makes sense. Alexander Ocasio Cortez. To avoid looking completely and utterly out of touch with reality, our prison system, instead of asking, should the Boston bomber have the right to vote, try, should a nonviolent person stopped with a dime bag lose his right to vote? Because that question reflects way more people. Reminder, slavery Jim Crow. That's it. I'm not talking anymore. Not being a hypocrite. I said it last podcast, but her, you know, it's slavery. No, it's not. It's called laws, Democrats. You don't follow laws. We do. The normal America follows the laws. You don't want to. And then AOC says, I don't care if you're documented. I don't care if you're undocumented to hammer my point. And so that is the current status of our legal documented path. It is completely unjust. And so the whole legal system right now and the way that the president is choosing to administer and grind all, all, all of the agencies to a halt that process legal forms of, of immigration is forcing people into the shadows and he is creating undocumented populations in the United States. And then they are being targeted and their rights are being violated. So that's what's actually going on. And so especially in this moment, First of all, I believe in human rights. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if you're documented. 
I don't care if you're undocumented. I don't care if you're out here. I don't care if you're in Rikers. I believe in your fundamental human rights. Fundamental human rights. You know, it goes back to the Obama pen info. I got my phone. I got my pen. We have laws. Legislate. Get rid of the laws. If you want illegal immigrants to vote, then legislate. Take it to the American people. You'll find you're wrong. Andrew Pollack sums it up. A list of all the people Democrats want to give the right to vote. Terrorists, murderers, 16-year-olds, illegals, rapists. Let's be clear. It's not because Democrats care, but because it gives them more power. And it's true. This week, FBI, IRS, search Baltimore Mayor Pew's home, City Hall. Fine. She's doing it. Governor Larry Hogan, for the good of the city, Mayor Pugh must resign. Warrants Thursday, several locations ball, including Mayor Catherine Pugh's home in City Hall. Pugh's attorney, Steve Millicent, the mayor is not lucid and that she still suffers from pneumonia and has developed uh, bronchitis. Three top Pugh aides received termination letters. Pugh to book controversy. What do you need to know? Pugh attorney, I've spoken to her today. Da, 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 da. We then go into Philly. Massachusetts judge cries. She leaves court after being charged with helping an undocumented immigrant evade ICE. It's conspiracing or conspiring to prevent ICE from detaining undocumented immigrants. Joseph was seen crying when she left. She was ordered to the courtroom record device to be returned off for 15 seconds while she, she and the defendant, Jose Medina Perez, lawyer, had a conversation about getting him out of the courthouse and sending handing him over to ICE officers, according to the indictment. McGregor allegedly used his access badge to release Medina Perez through a rear door. Joseph was seen crying when she left. Real obstruction, CBS, NBC, ignore judge, breaking the law. But it was covered on ABC. Next tonight to a federal grand jury, how it issued a blockbuster indictment of a Massachusetts judge and a former court officer. They're accused of allegedly helping an undocumented immigrant evade arrest by an immigration and customs enforcement agent. The high-profile case a showdown between both federal law and a sanctuary city. Here's ABC's Gio Benitez. Today, Judge Shelley Joseph finding herself on the other side of the bench after prosecutors say she helped an undocumented immigrant slip out the back door of her Newton, Massachusetts courthouse to avoid an ICE officer. Judge Joseph can be heard in a courtroom recording obtained by the Boston Globe. Is it need more time to figure this out or to tomorrow? Talking with attorneys about whether that suspect was the right man ICE was looking for. Judge Joseph ordered the court clerk to turn off the recording device. Prosecutors say the judge then conspired to release the suspect out the back door while that ICE officer was told to wait in the courthouse lobby. And Tom, tonight the judge and the court officer face obstruction of justice charges. The judge has been suspended and now that undocumented immigrant is in deportation. And then we got some FBI news that you're not going to hear in the media because they're ignoring this stuff. And that's why they had that lady going around this weekend on the shows. In a letter, A.G. William Barr, Senator Grassley seems to suggest that Obama's FBI spied on Trump transition using the spouse of Pence's chief of staff to insert FBI moles into the Trump transition team and disguising sting ops on Trump's team as formal FBI briefings for them. Molly Hemingway, Rutt Rose, Zork Page Sex, Jet Text, 
suggests using post-election briefing to gather information on Trump team. Text messages between former FBI official Zork and Page indicate they discussed using briefings to the Trump team at the 2016 election to identify people they could develop for potential relationships, track lines of questionings, and assess changes in demeanor. Language one GOP lawmaker called more evidence of irregular conduct in the original Russia probe. Fox News has learned the text initially released in 2018 by the Senate committee are under renewed scrutiny with GOP Grassley and Ron Johnson sending a letter Thursday night to bar any improper FBI surveillance activities that were conducted before or after 2016 election must be brought to light and properly addressed. Then Rod Rosenstein in a speech, here is one more time as described by justice.gov. At my confirmation hearing in 2017, a Republican senator asked me to make a commitment. He said, you're going to be in charge of the Russia investigation. I want you to look me in the eye and tell me that you'll do it right, that you'll take it to its conclusion, you'll report your results to the American people. I did pledge to do that right and take it to the appropriate conclusion. I did not promise to report all results to the public because grand jury investigations are ex parte proceedings. It's not our job to render conclusive factual findings. We just decide whether it's appropriate to file criminal charges. Some critical decisions about the Russia investigations were made before I got there. The previous administration chose not to publicize the full story about the Russian computer hackers and social media trolls and how they relate to broader strategy to undermine America. The FBI disclosed classified evidence about the investigation to ranking legislators and their staffers. Someone selectively leaked details in the news media. The FBI director announced at a congressional hearing that there was a counterintelligent investigation that might result in criminal charges. Then the former FBI director alleged that the president pressured him to close the investigation. The president denied that the conversation occurred. Folks, this is just dirty shit. Dirty shit. The Obama administration is hip deep in shit. And to make it worse, Judicial Watch drops bomb on Soros under a FOIA Documents detail Fed-subsidized Soros Foundation. Yeah. But this weekend, what'd you hear? Meet the press. Exclusive. Exclusive. Former U.S. Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates says, I personally prosecuted obstruction of justice cases on far, far less evidence than, than this. If he were not the President of the United States, he would likely be indicted on obstruction. Molly Hemingway. Not to distract from your shared hatred of Trump, but please tell us you asked real questions about her involvement in disseminating and weaponizing the Russian collusion conspiracy theory. And of course, they're not going to. They're just not going to. So, that's some upfront stuff. Let's fire for effect so I can hear the soundbite one time. And we're going to do what I said I was going to do on Saturday. Here's some butt lag. It's a long soundbite, but this is pretty, once you start listening, you'll know why I wanted to cover butt lag.
Christianity to me is about humility. I don't think religion belongs to one political party. And when I go to church, the scripture I hear has to do with protecting the poor and spending time with the prisoner and healing the sick and caring for the stranger, which to me is another word for immigrant. It has a very clear set of moral and policy implications, none of which are things I would associate with the right wing. Christianity to me is about humility. It's about love. And if we want to put those values into political practice, at least by my lights, they lead us in a very progressive direction. Mayor Buttigieg, you've talked openly about your strong Christian faith as well as your identity as a happily married gay man. I myself am a bisexual Christian woman. How will you challenge the right's moral monopoly on Christianity to unite conservative, moderate, and liberal Christians alike behind you and your platform? So, as you know, it can be challenging to be a person of faith who's also uh, part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, and yet, to me, the, the core of faith is regard for one another and uh, part of how God's love is experienced, according to my faith tradition, uh, is in the way that uh, we support one another and, and, in particular, support the least among us. Um, again, l- let me preface this by saying I believe strongly in the separation of church and state. And I think anybody who steps into the public sphere needs to make it clear that they're here to support people of any religion and people of no religion. But I also think we ought to be honest about where we're coming from. And part of where I'm coming from is a faith tradition that counsels me to be as humble as possible, that counsels me to look after those who need defending. And frankly, it couldn't be more radically different than what I see certainly in this White House, where there's a lot of chest-thumping and self-aggrandizing, not to mention uh, abusive behavior, but also a political agenda that seems to always uh, be revolving around the idea that somehow it's it's too easy for poor people in this country. It's just so different than what I get when I read Scripture. And I get that one of the things about Scripture is different people see different things in it. But at the very least, we should be able to establish that God does not have a political party. Good stuff. Pete Buttigieg wants Democrats to reclaim the faith. I think we've just been too susceptible to this uh, path where the right has, has tried to claim religion as though it's a partisan cause. Buttigieg, the 37-year-old mayor of South Bend, Indiana, a Democrat, Afghan veteran, and Episcopalian, married his husband in their church last year. We're very mindful that a day like this was not even possible not very long ago. Now, exploring a run for the White House, he told CNN's Van Jones his faith and family keep him grounded. You know, the imagery of, of, of Christ when the divine comes to earth um, as being in a servant mode, um, it, it comes from my community, a community that I think just wants you to keep your feet on the ground. It comes from my relationships, my husband, who will never get let my head get too big because um, uh, we got laundry to deal with at home. His faith is in stark contrast to that of many conservatives who oppose gay marriage on religious grounds, including Vice President Mike Pence. Please don't judge my state by our former governor. Buttigieg openly questions Pence's faith during a CNN town hall earlier this month. Is it that he, is it that he stopped believing in scripture when he started believing in Donald Trump? I don't know. He says he draws from his faith a sense of humility and commitment to community. What could be more different than what we're being shown in, in Washington right now? Often with some people who who view themselves as religious on the right, cheering it on. 
white evangelicals and regular churchgoers have been a key part of the Republican base in recent elections and are largely supportive of President Trump. And I also think that Buttigieg is trying to appeal to people who may feel left behind. If you were conservative and you're from an older generation and you were brought up by people you trusted to believe that it was morally wrong to be, for example, in a same-sex marriage, and then the pace of change has happened so quickly, I've benefited from the pace of that change. But I also understand how disorienting it must be for people to have gone through that. His message of unity doesn't stop there. It even extends to Chick-fil-A, whose president has voiced opposition to same-sex marriage. You like Chick-fil-A? I do not approve of their politics, but I, I kind of approve of their chicken. You my kind of guy, man. <laughs> so maybe, maybe if nothing else, I can build that bridge. For the better part of my lifetime. You said something rather strong about the president, that you said it's hard to look at his actions and believe that they are the actions of somebody who believes in God. How do you square that assessment with the fact that the evangelical Christian community is so devoted to his candidacy? Well, it's, uh, it's something that really frustrates me because the hypocrisy is unbelievable. Here you have somebody who uh, not only acts in a way that is not consistent with anything that I hear in Scripture or in church, where it's about uh, lifting up the least among us and taking care of strangers, which is another word for immigrants, uh, and making sure that you're focusing your effort on the poor, but also personally how you're supposed to conduct yourself, not chest-thumping, uh, look-at-me-ism, mm -hmm. uh, but humbling yourself before others. Uh, Foot-washing is one of the central images in the New Testament. Uh, and we see the diametric opposite of that in this presidency. I think there was uh, perhaps a cynical process where he decided to, for example, begin to pretend to be pro-life and govern accordingly, uh, which was good enough to, to bring many uh, evangelicals over to his side. But uh, even on the version of Christianity that you hear from the religious right, which is about sexual ethics, right. I can't believe that somebody who was caught writing hush money checks to adult film actresses is, is somebody they should be lifting up as the kind of person you want to be leading this nation. You grew up. So the last time South Bend, Indiana, Indiana mayor and Democratic presidential hopeful Pete Buttigieg was here. We were like, Pete who and how do you say that name? But now he's being hailed as the one to watch in election 2020 and even being compared to Barack Obama. Wow, that's something. Who is the second coming of Obama, huh? We'll see about that. My prayers may have been answered if that's true. So welcome, Mayor Buttigieg. Thank you. Okay. Time. As I said, but you know, you were just starting. Nobody really knew who you were. They couldn't right. pronounce your name. Yeah. That has changed in a very short time. How, yeah. how do you feel about it? Um, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. People yeah. still have trouble pronouncing my name, but uh, but at least they Don't know who it. I am. And, uh, you know, the most compelling thing for us is that uh, the more people hear our message, uh, the more they seem to be responding. So yeah. it's gone from kind of trying to prove that I have a place or ought to have a place at a table to really trying to win the day for the ideas that I'm bringing forward. Right. So it's uh, it's kind of an out-of-body experience sometimes, uh, yeah. but uh, it's gone really do well. A, do you have a nickname that can help people? Well, you know, they call me Mayor Pete around South mayor Bend, Pete. so uh, <laughs> that, that keeps it a little simpler. But, you know, the, uh, Jamie Shapiro, who's the executive producer of this segment, because... Yeah. I said, I can't, I can't with this last name. She said, it's Buddha Judge. There you go. Yeah. Buddha Judge. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like it looks, right? No, it doesn't look <laughs> no. bad at all. It's like Buddha gig. You know, the last time you were here, Mayor Pete, we were all... I mean, we're trying to conduct a serious political interview I'm with sorry, the presidential but... candidate. Joy. <laughs> Go ahead. The last time that you were here, I was so impressed with um, the way you were talking about the middle of the country, because obviously you're from South Bend. Yeah. In the past few weeks, you've been traveling, speaking. You're really gaining a lot of momentum. I, I've seen you on Fox News. You're going and speaking to the other side of the aisle. You're yeah. speaking to people in red states in the middle of the country. Do you think that's partially why you're gaining so much traction is instead of ignoring people in the middle of the country, you're trying to speak to them as well? Yeah, it's so important. I mean, how can you win? Uh, an election is supposed to be about our whole country, the whole thing. And we can't just concentrate on those areas where people, for the most part, already agree with us. You know, growing up in Indiana, a place where lots of people had very different political views than I did, I also learned that I could earn respect, not so much by pretending to be something I wasn't, but by explaining in good faith why I believe what I believe to people who maybe believe differently. And so even if they have a different view on a certain issue or a somewhat different set of values, if they know that at least what you have to say is coming from a place of values, I think you get a lot of credit for that. I was a little surprised that I'm, I'm the only one who's been on Fox so far, uh, because there are so many viewers who may never hear what our party has to say at all if we're never going on those channels and explaining what we believe. They will be. I think yeah. they're all going to go well, over there pretty to. soon. Not to Hannity, so. but to, to talk to the rational yeah. ones. Right. I, said, <laughs> I said something uh, earlier about you because I've been so impressed, more and more impressed every day. You're a military vet, a Harvard grad, a Rhodes Scholar. You went to Oxford. You are a concert pianist. Yeah. You speak many languages, including Norwegian, that you learned because you wanted to read a book. Uh, that wasn't in English, um, wow. a real Renaissance man, and you said something, and a man of faith. Um, and I talk about my Catholic faith on this uh, show a lot. Now, the religious right believes they have the cornerstone on morality, right. yet they have backed this president. And you called him, I think, the porn president at one point. Um, not exactly. Not exactly, but, yeah. but something like that. And you said this, we need to see the emergence of a religious left right. in our country. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, when I go to church and the scripture that I hear, it is about protecting the poor. It is about looking over, looking after those who are marginalized in society. There's a lot about welcoming the stranger, which to me includes welcoming the immigrant. Uh, and, you know, so much of uh, what, what Christ's teachings are about have to do with, with the way that we take care of the least among us. And I see now in, in the White House this celebration of uh, how powerful you can be and how rich you can be as if that's the same thing as virtue. And it just doesn't land. Now, I get that different people have different interpretations of their faith. Um, and I also get that as somebody entering a political process, uh, it's my responsibility to be there for people from any faith or from no faith. So it's not about mm -hmm. imposing my religious views. But I think for those of us who think uh, that our morality is, is something that needs to be in touch with our religious faith uh, personally, um, then it's really important to explain that, that this is not, uh, no one party has a monopoly on faith. What is it that they are hooking onto with Trump, do you think, on that side? <sighs> That's part of the mystery, yeah, right? I think it? at the I end mean, of the day, it's power, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you try power to figure out how the vice president, for example, who has maybe a different understanding of Christianity than I do, one that's largely about sexuality. Um, but that's even stranger, because how did he then attach himself uh, to someone who's getting caught writing hush money checks to, to porn stars? And that, that's part of what I was talking about yeah, in that to uh, town hall. Um, and it's so, called hypocrisy. 
Right, and, and the Bible is full of, it talks about this. It talks about hypocrites. It talks about Pharisees. It talks, frankly, political officials and priests don't come off that well in the new text of the New Testament. Um, and so, to me, faith is largely about humility. It's about humbling yourself in the service of others. Well, that's Whether, the Jimmy Carter was like that, yeah. is like that. Yeah. That was his religion. And, and that sense of servant yeah. leadership, mm -hmm. I think, is something we need a lot more of. Uh, and I do think there are the stirrings out there in our country right now of a religious left that understands that, that living your faith might also have to do with paying more attention to those most in need. That's right. And not could, celebrating those who already have the most wealth and the most power. Could, can, can, can we talk about, about sorry, uh, interrupt you? framework of left and right in religion is there any way it could just be people of faith mm -hmm. and like you know for conservatives that maybe feel a little lost right now yeah. are you still open to you know voters in that way because i i don't yeah. like that i think part of the problem we're all having right now is everything is through the framework work of a lens of left and right yeah. and maybe it's just non-hypocritical faith like instead that. of left and right yeah no i think there's something to that look again my progressive values are connected to my interpretation of my faith mm -hmm. but uh that's not for anybody else everybody should be able to decide uh whether and if their understanding of faith has any political implications uh, but i think you're right i mean just uh sniffing out hypocrisy uh, whether it's around religion or anything else in the political process. And I think it's something in particular that, that my region, the Midwest, is really attuned to. We can, we can tell. Um, and, and also my generation uh, that really puts a premium on authenticity. Uh, I think you have a much better chance of reaching, and of course we want to reach out to conservatives too, not by tricking them and pretending to be more, if I'm you know, uh, uh, not aligned with somebody to where they, they shouldn't vote for me because I don't represent their values, then fine. But I'd like to reach more conservatives who just might for the first time in a long time, because the Republican Party went through this hostile takeover by the current president, just might be open to different voices and different candidates. Can we talk a little about the term um, Democrat socialist, Democrat, yeah. uh, you know, democratic mm. socialism. I'm from Miami. Yeah. There's a lot of Venezuelan exiles, Cuban exiles, Nicaraguan exiles like me who fled socialism, who fled communism. And I think that term is being used to, as a scare tactic. Yeah. It's being used to, you know, provoke sentiments of, of fear and reminders of those countries. What, is, what does the term mean to you? Can you explain it to, to America? I think in many ways it's a term that's lost its meaning because it's being thrown around politically. I mean, I'll give you an example. The Affordable Care Act. Uh, this was a piece of legislation. It was a way to improve our health care system created by conservatives. It got started at a conservative think tank, the Heritage Foundation. And then the first time anyone tried it, it was a Republican governor in right. Massachusetts. And, and then a Democratic president, Obama, basically stole this Republican idea right. that was based on market principles. And the moment it became associated with him, suddenly people are calling it socialism. They're, calling, they're t talking like it's the road to winding up in the Soviet Union if we do this, which was a scare tactic. But it's also one of the reasons why this term has lost its meaning. Um, I believe that uh, capitalism is this incredibly powerful force that can do a lot of good. But I guess in the same way people talk about democratic socialism, I want to talk about democratic capitalism. So it's not irredeemable? Oh, I love that. As AOC that's good. Okay. We have to take a break, but we're not letting you go yet. Stick around for more with uh, Pete. Should I call you Pete? Sure. Mayor Pete, Pete Buttigieg. For the record, I am a Christian, but you don't hear me spouting off about Christianity because there's a book called The Bible. Within the Bible are many things you're supposed to do and many things you're not supposed to do. But you can't tell that with butt leg. The media does stories like CNN, Pete Buttleg, a gay Christian is driving the religious right 
nuts. Well, of course they are. Because at the end of the day, you hear him calling Trump not a good Christian. Pants is a piece of shit. You're taking the entire Bible and just going, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in this. I want to do what I want to do. Yeah. From their article, he arrived at LGBT Victory Fund, LGBTQ event, fresh off an interview with NBC Meet the Press. He was on the front page of the Morning Washington Post, and butt leg, gay Americans see a symbol of acceptance, the headline read. But as he spoke to the packed hotel ballroom illuminated with lavender lights, butt leg shared something that he's still uncomfortable admitting. If you had offered me a pill to make me straight, I would have swallowed it before you had time to give me a sip of water. It's hard to face the truth that there were times in my life when if you had shown me exactly what it was inside me that made me gay, I would have cut it out. But not anymore, because I found God and it's okay to be gay and lay with men. Because I ignore that part of the Bible. Politico, pride versus pants. Gay Republicans grapple with butt leg breakout. The 37-year-old mayor has climbed the ranks. No, he hasn't. He hasn't climbed shit. Within it, the National Review condemns Franklin Graham as a bad Christian. They're never Trumpers. Because he's bashing Buttleg for lying. Well, why wouldn't he? He's lying. The orange man... And here's where things get dumb. Yes, marriage is a union between a man and a woman, Mr. French helpfully explains. But Trump married a woman, then marries his mistress, then married a third woman, then had an affair at the porn stall while the third wife was pregnant with his child. And that's not even the dumbest part. And he goes on just to bash Trump and say, butt leg's a good guy. See, this is the infiltration of Christianity. You have a gay man who doesn't really follow Christianity, but he's using it to garner votes. That's his only reason why he's talking about his, his faith and that God doesn't have a party and all the shit you heard. But this is the left. Harvard Conference keynote speaker has written that religious Jews and Christians deserve to be locked up. Yesterday, Harvard University Faculty of Art and Science hosted an event entitled Fast Diversity Conference, A Decade of Dialogue. The event description highlighted the anti-racism activist Tim Wise would be featured keynote speaker. Over the last 10 years, the Fast Diversity Dialogue series has sparked com- conversation about diversity, equality, inclusion in the fast community and beyond. Join us for a retrospective look at diversity, inclusion, discussion of current histories, blah, 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 blah. Tim Wise, prominent anti-racist, a moderate... Discussion with Tim will be led by the Renee Graham and blah, 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 blah. The College Fix reports this anti-racism activist has rather colorful online history of grotesquely bigoted statements against religious Jews and Christians. Most specifically, why is public called for those who actually believe in the Hebrew Bible Old Testament to be locked up? Per the College Fix, Tim Wise, an anti-racism writer, educator, and activist, has denigrated Christians, Jesuits, and fascists, and called Pope Francis evil. He has tweeted that people who believe in God of hell, damnation, deserve to be mocked viciously and run out of the public squares. Those who base their morality on the Hebrew scripture deserve to be locked up, he said in 2015, claiming to be sort of kidding, but not that much. That's the left, folks. What's also the left? The New York Times. The New York Times International Edition ran a cartoon of apparently blind U.S. President, real Donald Trump, wearing a yarmulke 
being led by a dog with a star of David for collar and with the face of Prime Minister Netanyahu on April 25th. Momo. Gee, I wonder who would ever take offense to this. The time promptly backpedaled. An editor note to appear in Monday International Edition. A political cartoon, the International Print Edition of the New York Times on Thursday, included anti-Semitic tropes depicting Prime Minister Israel as a guide dog with a star David collar leading the President of the United States shown wearing a, uh, a skull cap. They couldn't even say yarmulke, skull cap. The image was offensive and it was an error of judgment to publish it. It was provided by the New York Times News Services Syndicate, which has since deleted it. Adam Milstein, New York Times Opinion, just released an initial apology for vile anti-Semitic cartoon featuring Trump as an Orthodox Jew being led by Netanyahu as a dog. New York Times on Thursday. A more detailed mea culpa apology is expected on this coming Monday. New York Times Opinion. An editor's note to appear in Monday's International Edition. AG Conservative. Missing here is any explanation on how a blatantly anti-Semitic cartoon made it past the editors or what is being done to prevent it from happening again. Error. Page A2 and A3. Because of an editing error, an article last Saturday referred incorrectly to Jesus' background. While he lived in the area that later came to be known as Palestine, Jesus was a Jew. So they actually had two of them in one week. Jesus was a Palestinian, the terrorist we love so much. And an anti-Semitic cartoon. Rashim Kassam. <coughs> Holy shit. Look at this deeply anti-Semitic cartoon in the New York Times. This cartoon, folks, that's some fucking racist shit. Ariel Davidson. Pause to consider the same reason the anti-Semitic cartoon in the International New York Times made it past several editors is the same reason the left loves Ilian Omar. They don't care about anti-Semitism. They condone it. Some re- reason AOC, same reason AOC praised Jeremy Corbyn. Same reason the BDS movement flourishes on college campuses under the auspice of left-wing professors. Same reason Democrats have made no moves to remove Omar from the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Same reason almost a dozen Democrats have met privately with Farrakhan. Same reason the Washington the Women's March has by and large been an arm of the Democratic Party. Same reason hate crimes against Orthodox Jews in Brooklyn has gotten little press. It's all the same reason, and the left knows it. Anti-Semitism is justified by the aims of cultural Marxism. She is spot the fuck on. So then we have a synagogue attack. Who do they blame? And when it comes to this use of religion as sword and shield, Mr. King's most successful acolyte on us versus them politics, this president, follows the same script. You do know this president went out to visit King early on, right? And emerged with a much harsher stand on immigration. And you know, even when the whole party called out King, finally, this president refused. Still has never said a word about him. He, too, sees the use of faith as a convenient shield. Remember this? 
I'm always audited by the IRS, which I think is very unfair. I don't know, maybe because of religion, maybe because of something else, maybe because I'm doing this, although this is just recently. What do you mean religion? Well, maybe because of the fact that I'm a strong Christian and I feel strongly about it, and maybe there's a bias. You think maybe you, see you get what's... audited for being well, a strong you see, Christian? you see what's happened. I mean, you have many religious groups that are complaining about that. They've been complaining about it for a long time. Being audited for being Christian, this president, Look, we don't even know if he is being audited. And as for being devout, here are his skills on display. 2 Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3.17. That's the whole ballgame. Where the Spirit of the Lord, right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And here there is Liberty College, but Liberty University. But it is so true. You know, when you think, and that's really... Is that the one? Is that the one you like? I think that's the one you like because I loved it. And it's so representative of what's taken place. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's the psalm. Some translate the last word as liberty. But the only part he really got right, even though he's reading it off a piece of paper, is the last part. It is so representative of what has taken place. Religion is being used to pander and divide by men who have no business representing themselves as arbiters of the same. Points of light Shooting through the tree state finds It draws me home Home to where our love can grow But all day long I heal for you, honey Yeah, you're the one I love Young to old the days are aplenty Something in your eyes is gold no fucking integrity at all i i think uh hail razor sums it up the new york times blames sarah palin map for tucson but don't even think of linking its anti-semitic cartoon yesterday to poway synagogue or all the anti-semitism i would add in the democratic party miss anti-semite ilian omar my heart is breaking at today's deadly shooting at shabbat congressional san diego on the last day of passover six month tree in life religious hate and violence love trump's hate somebody please pardon all of us who don't believe your anti-semitic lying he left a manifesto calls president trump a zionist anti-white traitors cocksucker sucker the shooting took place exactly six months of the tree of life you had a off-duty border patrol agent come in 
and save the day? Media wants to ignore that. Here's some of his rant. I don't want to read all of it. Are you affiliated with any political ideology? Yes, it's called not wanting to go extinct. Are you conservative? I am not a useless, spineless coward. So no, I am not a conservative. And it's this huge ranting. This was online. I'm not reading it all because I don't want to read manifestos. But understand, during 2018, there were 1,979 Islamic attacks in 54 countries in which 11,775 people were killed and 11,483 injured. I understand why some hate Muslims, but why Jews? Blaming Trump, yet the FBI went on TV and said this. Based on the information in the complaint, these defendants, along with Ahmed, Yusuf, Noor, and others, recruited each other, supported each other's efforts to get to Syria, helped each other with funding, and worked exclusively and extensively to come up with the best travel arrangements. On multiple occasions, members of the group were stopped from traveling to Syria. Their plans were disrupted, and the consequences of their actions were made clear to them. Yet they continued. Guled, for example, was stopped multiple times from traveling. But what is remarkable about this case is that nothing stopped these defendants from pursuing their goal. They never stopped plotting another way to get to Syria to join ISIL. They were not confused young men. They were not easily influenced. These are focused men who are intent on joining a terrorist organization by any means possible. To be clear, we have a terror recruiting problem in Minnesota. And this case demonstrates how difficult it is to put an end to recruiting here. Parents and loved ones should know that there is not one master recruiter organizing in the Somali community locally. What this case shows is that the person radicalizing your son, your brother, your friend, may not be a stranger. It may be their best friend right here in town. All they're going to talk about is white supremacy now. That's what they're going to talk about. But where does all the anti-Semitism go? Where's anti-Semitism every day on TV? It's on the left. Hunter Pollock comes straight out. The shooting at Synagogue of Poway, California is no surprise. Jewish faith is under attack with Congresswomen women like Tlaib and Omar making anti-Semitic comments to incite a deranged base. My prayers are with the rabbi and victims of a horrific tragedy. NBC San Diego reports that off-duty U.S. Border Patrol agent who was in Poway Synagogue opened fire on the suspect and prevented an attack from being significantly worse. Shannon Watts comes in and shits all over him. Actually, the Poway shooting underscores the unlikelihood of average civilians stopping shooters. A highly trained and armed Border Patrol agent missed the shooter and instead hit his vehicle. This was after the gunman fatally shot one victim. She continued her rant. Dana Loesch retrieved this because she wants us to believe only a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. A trained Border Patrol agent, not an average civilian, missed the shooter and shot his car. The issue is poi is not who shot back, but how a 19-year-old got an AR-15. 
Alexander Ocasio-Cortez. Heartbroken to hear the San Diego Synagogue shooting, particularly so on this final day of Passover. We have a responsibility to love and protect our neighbors. The longer the Senate delays holding vote on H.R. 8, the more we put Americans at risk. Brian Butler, there are a few fringe Republicans who acknowledge that this is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory is false. I imagine many congressional Republicans don't believe the conspiracy theory is true, but are scared to contradict Trump and others don't believe it's true, but think agitating anti-Semites is a good politics. Nevertheless, their non-response to this episode speaks for itself. Remember when Republicans served all t- severed all ties with Judicial Watch and Lou Dobbs after this episode, and he's trying to string it back to them. Somehow it's Fox News's fault. Some cuckoo shot somebody up. All they care is about Islamists. This week, New York Times. Sri Lanka Muslims face an angry backlash after Easter Sunday attacks. During the raid to get the people who did the attack... Militant sets off bomb during Sri Lanka raid, killing 15. That's what the media reported. Cambri Kawa Ko, the pregnant wife of Sri Lankan suicide bomber, killed over 300 Christians, detonated a suicide vest when police raided the family's Colombo home, killing herself, her children, and the police. Media silent. Sure they are. They're totally silent. We will, this will be off the TV, most Ricky tick. It'll be guns. They're probably already on guns on CNN. Already. Their link to Islamism is so deep. That's why the media does it. Obama sent $221 million dollars to Palestine hours before leaving office. And we know that money is getting to terrorists. We know this. But he sent it anyway. Normal Americans aren't stupid. Petition demanding the impeachment of Representative Omar grows at a record pace. 500,000 signatures. She is stoking anti-Semitism. Remember, we were saying stars that look like the stars of David and Trump handouts was he was anti-Semite. You have somebody literally being an anti-Semite. The media protects her. Seltzer goes on and blames Trump for another synagogue shooting. And the media aired this bullshit from Tlaib to protect the Democrats. I was probably my second year in law school when 9-11 happened. And I was, I was really terrified of what was going to happen to my husband, who's only a green card holder at the time. I immediately called my brothers and told them, be very careful who you hang out with. Um, telling my sisters, you know, just be real careful out there. And, and being really afraid of my fellow Americans. It really pushed me to be more involved. And I got really curious and really angry. And I think that combination got me, you know, in in front of a number of issues in the city of Detroit. That's what they talk about. 
And once again, when I started this show, I wasn't going to be after parties. I was going to be a normal, who I am, an independent. It is so hard right now not to call the Democrats out. The New York Times publishes anti-Semitism. Omar talks about anti-Semitism. And we blame Trump for another shooting. When the inverse of a Muslim mosque was shot up in America... Every conservative radio host, TV show, everybody be blamed for it. The FBI be blamed for it because now they're saying Minnesota is a, a problem. Folks, this is not good. Our media protecting the Democrats and their outright hate of a group, not on the scale of Christians, but pretty damn close. And getting away with it, as they like to say, it's incitement. And no, I don't give the shooter a pass for that shit. I say it all the time. Words should not make you go out and kill people. He was cuckoo for coca puffs. But nobody's talking about his hate for Trump and his rant. No, it's Trump's fault. Everything's Trump's fault. So... We're going to have a music break, and then we're going to come in to Biden. Oh, fuck me, his rollout. If you're going to roll out your freaking presidential campaign, grounded in lies, well, work for, Demo- work, work for fucking Obama, so I think Biden's taking his cue from that. Somehow 
President Joe Biden enters the 2020 campaign just this morning and takes direct aim at the president. If we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, he will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation. Saying the country is in the battle for the soul of the nation, he says because of the Trump presidency. In a dramatic campaign video using images from the Charlottesville white supremacist march, the former vice president saying President Trump shocked the conscience of the nation by saying there were some very fine people on both sides. And in that moment, I knew the threat to this nation was unlike any I had ever seen in my lifetime. He's really just focusing on President Trump, saying this is a moment in time a battle for the heart and soul of the nation. Not talking about policy or I'm Joe Biden, this is where I'm from. He's assuming that people know who he is. He's not going to go after fellow Democrats. He's going after Donald Trump. And he wants to show that he is the toughest, the strongest, the most experienced, trying to make his age and, and long experience on the public stage a virtue, that he's the one who can go after him. I, it's a very dramatic and it's kind of a shock technique to start with Charlottesville. I have to say, I'm, I'm so touched by, moved by that um, video that mm-hmm. he did. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I'm so old. I remember all of that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember Iwo Jima, but I remember since mm-hmm. then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, our uncles were in Normandy. Our yeah. fathers were on the beach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were the good guys in this country. And now, and we're not. Mm-hmm. And now we're not. People look at this country in, in horror and say, what happened to America? Mm-hmm. It, it breaks my heart. And I, I love that he's doing it. He's taking this tech, Uh that it's not just about policy right now. He'll get to that. Uh But America, look at this and say, do we want this America back or don't we? I mean, Mm -hmm. basically, that's what it's come down to. Uh A lot of damage has been done already that, you know, that McConnell has installed all these extreme right wing white guy judges that are going to be there for life. They're this in their is how 40s we started, and 50s. Joy. The Supreme Court is loaded again. This is how we started out. We started out with that very visual. Yeah. And we move the, the, the fingers forward. We see more women now are in. Yes. We see more people of color, more folks are in, more gay folks, straight folks. This is now becoming mm-hmm. the melting pot in Washington. Yeah. That After the midterms. Well, but yeah. We've, we've also but, been through harder times. We've been through some really tough times in this country. You think about never had wars. We have this. The media jizzed all over themselves on this. But I want to play what he actually said. This is what the man rolled out on his little speech. 
Charlottesville, Virginia, is home to the author of one of the great documents in human history. We know it by heart. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. We've heard it so often, it's almost a cliche, but it's who we are. We haven't always lived up to these ideals. Jefferson himself didn't, but we have never before walked away from them. Charlottesville is also home to a defining moment for this nation in the last few years. It was there on August of 2017 we saw Klansmen and white supremacists and neo-Nazis come out in the open. Their crazed faces, illuminated by torches, veins bulging and burying the fangs of racism, chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. And they were met by a courageous group of Americans. And a violent clash ensued. And a brave young woman lost her life. And that's when we heard the words of the President of the United States that stunned the world and shocked the conscience of this nation. He said there were, quote, some very fine people on both sides. Very fine people on both sides? With those words, the President of the United States assigned a moral equivalence between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. And in that moment, I knew the threat to this nation was unlike any I had ever seen in my lifetime. I wrote at the time that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. Well, that's even more true today. We are in the battle for the soul of this nation. I believe history will look back on four years of this president and all he embraces as an aberrant moment in time. But if we give Donald Trump eight years in the White House, he will forever and fundamentally alter the character of this nation, who we are. And I cannot stand by and watch that happen. The core values of this nation are standing in the world, our very democracy. Everything that has made America, America is at stake. That's why today I'm announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. Folks, America is an idea. An idea that's stronger than any army, bigger than any ocean, more powerful than any dictator or tyrant. It gives hope to the most desperate people on earth. It guarantees that everyone is treated with dignity and gives hate no safe harbor. It instills in every person in this country the belief that no matter where you start in life, there's nothing you can achieve if you work at it. That's what we believe. And above all else, that's what's at stake in this election. We can't forget what happened in Charlottesville. Even more important, we have to remember who we are. This is America. Jim Acosta and most of the media running for his defense. Trump defended his Charlottesville comments this morning on his way to Indiana. I've answered that question. If you look at what I said, you will see the question was answered perfectly. Trump defends his very fine people comment on Charlottesville. People were there protesting and taking down a monument of Robert E. Lee. Everybody knows that. Fact check. There were many neo-Nazis and white supremacists. Wendy Sadler. 
As usual, you purposely distort what POTUS said to f- support your hateful agenda by leaving out the fact that he condemned the neo-Nazis and white supremacists. I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and white nationalists, but they should be condemned totally. But yet, many people in that group, other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay, and the press has treated them absolutely unfairly. Now, in the other group, also you had some fine people, but you also had troublemakers, and you see them come with the black outfits and with the helmets and with the baseball bats. You had a lot of bad people in that group, too. Exact quote. Stop lying to people, Jim. It was a huge amount of tweets. I'm not going to read it. Everybody's sending it to him. Everybody. Complete quote. Real, clear politics. Trump didn't call neo-Nazis fine people. Here's proof. So here's Jake Tapper even saying that it isn't true. Uh, Let's uh, play some of the sound uh, of President Trump uh, back in 2017 saying he had said today that he answered the question uh, perfectly. Uh, Let's take a listen. They showed up in Charlottesville to protest. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Now, elsewhere in those remarks, the president did condemn neo-Nazis and white supremacists. So he's not saying that the neo-Nazis and white supremacists are very fine people, but he is saying people protesting alongside those neo-Nazis and white supremacists are very fine people. You know, it, it goes back to everything I say. The Democrats lived in a fucking factless world. They've construed murderers and rapists. They've construed, hey, I hope I can get those emails from Russia, which was a joke. They construed the Charlottesville. Now, granted, I said it at the time. It wasn't the best, smartest thing you could have said. You probably shouldn't have said anything. But this is Trump. He's inarticulate. I'd rather have an inarticulate president that says what he's thinking, feeling, etc., than a lying sack of shit like Barack Obama. Who every time something bad goes for his sect, he goes, Oh, those bitter clingers. The Crusades. Let's talk about the Crusades, yeah. So Biden also decided, I want to hire a racist to run my campaign. In my opinion, we don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now. The Democratic Party is diverse, and it should be reflected as so in our leadership and throughout the, the staff at the, top, at the highest levels. What do you say to the people who, are, who dragged a poor white guy out of a car and beat him? Oh, my goodness, poor Trump? white people, please, oh my, stop. The folks calling for civility might need to check their privilege. And for Howard Dean, also in the running uh, for DNC chairman. And I wonder what you think. Uh, you're a Keith Ellison person. Having no, Are you not? Are you I not? not thrown, no, I have not thrown my, I know my former boss has thrown his weight Okay, well then actually this Keith is, Ellison, okay, this is even better. I have not thrown my weight behind Then you're an even better person to ask this question of. <laughs> you have Howard Dean and others who support. Jamie Harrison. That's right, Jamie Harrison. And their line is that Keith Ellison, who is more to the left of these other guys, that he, since he's a sitting congressman, since it appears he wouldn't leave that position behind, Debbie Wasserman Schultz had worn the two hats. And, and you know what? That doesn't work. That doesn't work wearing the two hats. Do you think that's a real criticism, or do you think that that's people 
trying to get some cover for not wanting someone who's so, so liberal to be at the helm of the party. I think it's a little bit of both. I definitely think it is difficult when uh, you have a, a chair that is a sitting member of Congress or has any kind of other job because there's two sets of staff. There's DNC staff and then there's office staff. And whenever you want to get something done quickly, you just can't go through the DNC staff. You also have to go through whatever particular office staff. Look, I think Keith Ellison is great. I have worked with him. He is an amazing. He is a fighter. And he's committed to the issues. But Howard Dean? Howard Dean, you know, Howard Dean was there for that 50-state strategy. But here's the issue. Howard Dean is also on record maligning young people and millennials, telling those Bernie folks they just need to get in line and maligning Bernie Sanders. And that is not what we need, in my opinion. We don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now. The Democratic Party is diverse and it should be reflected as so in our leadership and throughout the, the staff at the, top, at the highest levels, from the vice chairs to the secretaries, all the way down to the people working in the offices at the DNC. I think we need to have a robust discussion about this. And I think we need to hear more from all the candidates. Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, he's great too. He has done real party building, but everybody doesn't necessarily know Jamie and they want to know what it is that he stands for. So yeah. I want to hear more from everybody. I'm here for the millennials and the brown folks. <laughs> Well, we are going to try to have all of these potentials on. Simone, Ben, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here. And Carl, I want you to, I want, you know, we had a technical glitch for a second, Carl, and I hope you, hope you heard most of this, but I want you to get your reaction to this. Well, you know, like I, I heard the, about the last 30 seconds of it, but I, I will say, look, look, Donald Trump did say, stop it. But I, I would say to the counter of that, where was Obama when people were smashing neighborhoods after all these riots? I mean, he didn't, he didn't necessarily take a firm stance on getting people to stop. I think what, what happens is now is, look, people should not riot and cause violence on, on either side of the aisle regarding the issue. I think it's stupid for people to come out and say racist things and, you know, whatever power for Trump. But they shouldn't do it on either side. And I think there should be a real serious uh, hatch down here of the law and just say, look, stop doing violence upon other people. Stop doing violence upon neighborhoods. It doesn't hate crimes and pro I'm sorry, Kate. Hate, crime hate crimes and protesting are not the same things. We cannot normalize this. Carl, a hate crime is a crime that is committed against somebody because of their religion, because of what they look like, because of their sexual orientation. That is not the same thing as protesting. You're, you're not. You're, that, you're, you, I don't think Carl is disputing that, though. Well, he should he should make it very clear because what I heard is both people on both sides should just cut it all out. And a hate crime is not the same thing as protesting. We have to be very deliberate about and that. And what do you say? What do you say to the people who are who dragged a poor white guy out of a car and beat him? Oh my goodness, poor job. white people! Please, oh my, stop. Stop it, Carl. What I say to people that protest is that, first of all, apparently there has never been protesting. an acceptable... That's not Pardon me, pardon me there protesting. has never been an acceptable form of protest. What I'm saying is I'm calling for people to be peaceful. I think protesting is a right. It is what this country was founded on. We got this country via yeah. protest, actually. But it's never okay to use violence. But we can't keep calling for people well, you and I to be peaceful. We can't call for people to be peaceful when the rhetoric that has been used is not peaceful, uh, when people don't feel peaceful in their homes. Let we me have to recognize I, that. I want to finish... Article, oops, Biden's latest hire doesn't want white people leading the Democratic Party. This girl's on CNN, dude. She is another cable news troll obsessed with whiteness scores big gig as senior Biden advisor. Yeah. From the article, would have done something had the majority Stoneman Douglas Jr. blah, blah, blah. We have put white supremacy in the White House thanks to Donald Trump. Her brand of commentary is basically this, but on repeat. In 2016, for example, after a white Trump supporter was dragged from a car and beaten by a mob in Chicago, she attacked Trump for calling 
on his supporters to cease committing hate crimes of violence in the name. The audacity of privileged white people to sit on national television and question if hate crimes are happening to just flippantly say, stop it, it's not okay, and not put any action behind those words is appalling to me. It's actually appalling, she said. She also downplayed the beating by referring it to as a political protest. When asked how dragging a man from his car and beating him constitute legitimate protest, she responded, Oh my goodness, poor white people, please. We can't call for people to be peaceful when the rhetoric that has been used is not peaceful, when people don't feel peaceful in their homes. She reiterated, some seemingly approving of the beating, later in 2017 after a video surfaced showing four black adults torturing a mentally disabled white man while screaming, Fuck Donald Trump, fuck what Donald Trump. Sanders initially downplayed the seriousness of the incident, warning, we cannot callously go about classifying things as a hate crime. She went on to argue that anytime someone says or does something egregious or bad or sickening in connection with Trump, or even Obama, that is not a hate crime. Sanders backtracked later and said she agreed that the torture constituted a hate crime. This is to say nothing of her criticism of the man she now calls her employer. We don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now, she said shortly after the 2016 presidential election. Then there is this gem. Anita Hill, because she is a black woman, did not have the luxury of vulnerability before the all-white male Senate Judiciary Committee in 91. Biden was chair of it, of course. Over the course of this campaign, Vice President Biden is going to make his case to the American people, she tweeted. He won't always be perfect, but I believe he will get it right. Slap. He won't always be perfect on a campaign button, and I am sold. On top of having to answer for Biden's own history of off-color remarks, his campaign will likely also have to answer for one of its top advisors. This week he said, we're going to get America squared away and straight again. And, of course, people took it as, oh, shit, he's bashing homosexuals. That can't be right. Mm Mm-mm. No. Then there was the NRA this week. Right off the bat, President Trump set for base-pleasing NRA speech. That was before he even gave the speech. And then he gave the speech. If you like it, you can keep it. But then he slipped up and told the truth. Remember this? That's fine, man, that they get better and they cling to guns or religion or uh, antipathy towards people who aren't like that. I said it then and I'll say it today. I'll proudly cling to my guns and my religion. Are you with me? About time, isn't that nice? We've added almost six million jobs since my election. And if I would have said that during the campaign, all of those people back there, we call them the fake news, they wouldn't have believed it. They're fake. They're fake. Blue collar jobs recently grew at the fastest rate in more than three decades. Nearly five million Americans have been lifted off of food stamps since our election. Instead of vacationing on a private island right now, he's sacrificing his personal life to make America great again.
Every day of my administration, we are taking power out of Washington, D.C., and returning it to the American people where it belongs. And you see it now better than ever with all of the resignations of bad apples. They're bad apples. They tried for a coup. Didn't work out so well. And I didn't need a gun for that one, did I? All was taking place at the highest levels in Washington, D.C. You've been watching, you've been seeing, you've been looking at things that you wouldn't have believed possible in our country. Corruption at the highest level, a disgrace. Spying, surveillance, trying for an overthrow. And we caught him. We caught him. Who would have thought in our country? But it's called what we all together have done. Started two and a half years ago on that great November 8th. That was a great day. Remember that day? Great day. And we know that firearms in the hands of law-abiding citizens make our communities more safe, not less safe. You know, at this podium nearly two decades ago, Charlton Heston said those famous words, and I quote, I'll give you my gun when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. Well, I'll make you a promise. Under this president and this vice president, no one is taking your guns. Under this president and this administration, the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Yeah, they freaked. But I hate to agree with the man. It is a coup. Well, we have no proof of anything. It's a coup, folks. If you don't think it's a coup, it's because you're a Democrat. Then we had the White House Correspondents to the Dinner. Washington Post mostly blames Trump for killing comedy at the Correspondents Dinner. Oh, really? How the White House Correspondent Association lost its sense of humor. In the Obama years, comedians hailed Obama and ripped, it, ripped into conservatives. See Obama worshipping Larry Wiltmore. The Post pictures Wanda Sykes at 2009 dinner, but never mentioned she wished for the dais that... Rich, Rush Limbaugh's kidneys would fail. The problem today, apparently, is that comedy has to be vicious or it would fall flat, according to experts. And the Wolf controversy might not have been a one-off. Many observers say that comedy in the context of media dinner is tough to pull off in an era where political humor is weaponized and even laughing could feel like a partisan act. The expectations by the political elite about what political humor is has changed, said Jody Baumgartner, professor at East Carolina University who teaches a course about political humor. You'd have to bring in someone who's willing to punch really, really hard, or else it would fall flat. He notes that modern political humor draws more from the traditions of Daily Show, who combine liberal activism with his punchlines, than the gentle ribbing of late-night comics like Johnny Carson or even David Lemon, whose aim was to elicit laughed instead of political fucking points. 
humorists can now see themselves as political activists. And then the rest of the article just devolves into, it's okay to bash those people. Fuck these people. Yeah. So what did they bring out? The same. We're under attack. I was going to play it, but I'm not going to. It's the same thing. Some professor gets up there and tells how important those people are, and our lives are so bad. Oh, fuck fuck it. I'll play it. A very special thank you to someone whose counsel has always steered us in the right direction, but whose particular talents got an unusually robust workout this year. Our lawyer, George Lehner. When the White House stripped Jim Acosta of his credentials, I did the easy work of pointing out that no president should get to pick and choose who covers him, while George did the hard work of drafting and filing our amicus brief in support of CNN. And that gets us, in an admittedly roundabout way, to this president. Uh, I don't want to dwell on the president. This is not his dinner, it is ours. And it should stay ours. But I do want to say this. In nearly 23 years as a reporter, I've been physically assaulted by Republicans and Democrats, spat on, shoved, had crap thrown at me. I've been told by senior administration officials of both major parties that I will never work in Washington again. And there was a brief moment in Afghanistan when I thought a soldier not quite old enough to shave would shoot me dead for the crime of taking a picture inside the presidential palace. And yet, I still separate my career into the period before February of 2017 and what came afterwards. And that's because February 2017 is when the President of the United States called us the enemies of the people. A few days later, I was driving my then 11-year-old son somewhere, probably soccer practice, when he burst into tears and asked me, is Donald Trump going to put you in prison? At the end of a family trip to Mexico, he mused that if the President tried to keep me out of the country, quote, at least Uncle Josh is a good lawyer and he'll get you home. (laughs) Hey, Uncle Josh. Uh, I've had to tell my family not to touch packages on our stoop. My name is on a statement criticizing the president for celebrating a congressman's criminal assault on a reporter. I've had death threats, including one this week. Too many of us have. It shouldn't need to be said in a room full of people who understand the power of words, but fake news and enemies of the people are not pet names, punchlines, or presidential. And we should reject politically expedient assaults on the men and women whose hard work helps make it possible to hold the powerful to account. You folks in the media write the early drafts of history, and we historians the later ones. Your work gives freshener and color and immediacy to our sagas. I know how embattled you feel at this critical juncture as you combat the mistrust of a significant portion of the American electorate. I think you're doing noble work to preserve democracy at a time when a rising tide of misinformation masquerading as news threatens to make a mockery of the First Amendment. There are so many journalistic fakes and forgeries out there that the genuine article can become devalued and debased. You must also deal with the pervasive world of social media rife with self-appointed pundits who search out news outlets that only strengthen their preconceived views. Still, this is as good a time as any to take stock 
and rededicate yourself to the highest standards of journalistic integrity and accuracy. Donald J. Trump is not the first and won't be the last American president to create jitters about the First Amendment. So be humble, be skeptical, and beware of being infected by the very things you're fighting against. The press is a powerful weapon that must always be fired with reluctance and aimed with precision. Warren Buffett has a very handy saying, always take the high road, it's far less crowded there. And some days in Washington, let's face it, a high-minded politician can sail along that upper roadway for hours without spotting another car. (laughs) You folks should always remember you are heirs to a grand crusading uh, tradition that dates back to Ida B. Wells exposing the horrors of lynching. (laughs) Jacob Reese, the misery of Manhattan slums. Lincoln Steffens, municipal corruption. Ida Tarbell, the machinations of Standard Oil. Upton Sinclair, the scandalous meatpacking industry. Rachel Carson, the dangers of pesticides. Woodward and Bernstein, exposing Watergate. And the New York Times and Washington Post, publishing the Pentagon Papers. This is a glorious tradition. You folks are part of it. And we can't have politicians trampling on it with impunity. Is there any more obnoxious profession than these media members i mean if you would add you do such an important thing for the democrats not democracy i would say yeah yeah you do do an important thing for the democrats it's it's disgusting so moving on the last two things in our hate tweets thousands of illegal aliens to march nationwide for the right to drive without a license They also say immigrant leaders are calling for the community to stand with them on May 1st to put pressure on their county and state politicians, demanding driver's license and dignity for all undocumented immigrants as massive marches and day-long strikes are expected. They're also demanding to be able to go back to their countries and back here, just unfettered, back and forth across the border, just like they're a citizen. They want citizenship. Well, apply for it, like everybody else. And while they're doing this great march and demanding all these things, well, cases of measles at the highest in 25 years. So thank you, Obama. Thanks, Democrats. Bringing people without inoculations in our country. Great work. Then your base doesn't believe in measles because they think it started ACHD or autism. And so you're just fucking everybody. Nice work. Hey, Tweet Times. I just feel like you're playing in an uneven field with the Republicans because they will play dirty and we will not on the Democratic side and that could kill us. Good evening. I have a few announcements and then I'll take questions. Samantha B is still preparing her remarks for the Not the White House Correspondents Dinner. I am told they will be shrill and laced with vulgarities. Okay. I will take questions now. You. Fiona St. George, Tittle Tattle Tabloid. Um, why would Miss B organize a Not the White House Correspondents' Dinner on the same night as the actual White House Correspondents' Dinner? Is she trying to undermine the legitimacy of both the press and this president? No, Miss B is trying to undermine the legitimacy of just one of those two things. Yes, very teen in your father's suit, obviously from Bart. Yeah, doesn't having a female host for this dinner demonstrate a clear anti-white male bias? 
Absolutely not. Sam is not at all biased against white men. She just can't tell you apart and thinks you all know each other. Right here. Over here. Yes. Uh, yeah, hi. Ed Bauer, the bold-faced red font email alert for America's uncles. Is tonight's special going to be like every episode of Full Frontal where Sam just talks about vaginas for a half hour? No, Buttercup. Tonight, she'll be talking about them for a full hour. Okay, I'll take a Skype question, because I guess that's a thing now. Yes, Leonard Skinner, tribute band member. Yes, speaking as a fringe nut job survivalist who unaccountably drinks his own urine. What's your question? No question. Is anyone here a reporter? Amy American, U.S. News. Yeah, I know you're from Russia today. Joan Stern, wakeupsheeplenewsbiz.org. Next, okay. Last question. Opus Day. Lloyd Merkin, Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Why hasn't Samantha Bee commented on the allegations that she's a witch? Okay, you know what? You people are monsters. Yes, we have freedom of speech and of the press in this country, and that is a beautiful thing. So if a morally bankrupt gang of racist bloggers, anarchists, dominionist radio hosts, and rancid women haters want to call themselves journalists, no one can stop you. But you are part of the reason that no one trusts the real press. These journalists work day and night to find the truth write it down or tell it to a camera and sometimes they fuck it up but when they do they apologize most of the time they chase down stories even when the stories put them in danger and their phone batteries die because of all the pepes tweeting abuse at them and you pretend to be them ruining their reputation at least among people too stupid to tell the difference you are the dregs of a free society we have to let you exist but we do not have to listen to you so Samantha B will be spending the evening with real reporters. And by the way, to answer your question, yes, of course she's a witch. We're all witches. That's a full let, everybody. Enjoy the day. Let's talk about euphemisms. If you mean racist, say racist, not this. Police say they now know who is behind those racially charged threats. A slew of racially tinged incidents. Racially loaded. Racially insensitive. Racially heated. The president says racially tinged things. Racially charged threats. Racially charged language. Things can be electrically charged or solar charged or sexually charged, but racially charged is not a thing. I agree with you, Sam. Oh my god, my best friend, Brandon Victor Dixon. Sam, yes. for some reason, a lot of people think being called racist is worse than actual racism. Mm-hmm. So they're afraid to even call it out when it happens. Mm-hmm. If only we could get them to relearn some really basic ways to communicate. And also, it was a corny, over-the-top musical. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Probably not. <laughs> We're going to do a My Fair Lady parody. Oh. <laughs> You can be my editor. And you can be an idiot in the newsroom. Blimey. Lose the exit. I shall. <clears throat> Eliza B., what is this headline you wrote for your article? Donald Trump calls immigrants animals in racially charged comments? What's the problem, Mr. Diggins? <laughs> racially charged is a meaningless euphemism. 
You need to change it. Okay, uh, no problem. Racially tinged it is. Uh, no, 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 no. Repeat after me. Uh-huh. The racist uh-huh. did racism. <laughs> which was racist? Race. Race. Okay, uh, racial language. Ugh. Uh, racial undercurrents. No, no, no. Okay, race related. Oh, this is hard for me for some reason. Uh, the racist did racism, which was racist. What was that? The racist did racism, which was racist. Once more. The racist did racism, which was racist. I think she finally has it. She really has it. The racist did racism, which was racist. My word, she has it. My word, she has it. Now again, who did racism? The racist. The racist. And what did that racist do? Racism. Racism. The racist did racism, which was racist. Excellent. The racist did racism, which was racist. Now, David Duke, Donald Trump, and Steve King. They're racists who do racism. Not racial language, a racial slur. Now, a Trump favorite in Florida has had some racial stumbles. Huh. Ron DeSantis is a racist. He said monkey it up. Yes. And Trump said shithole countries, which was racially charged. More like Trump called mostly black countries shitholes. That is racist. When a racist says a racist thing. That's racist and nothing less. And if you talk around the word, you sound comfortable with that racial slur. A racist did racism, which was racist. Everybody, the racist did racism, which was racist. <laughs> Say, if this is so easy, why don't newspapers do it all the time? <sighs> Some places like NBC News forbid their journalists from using decisive language about racism. Well, that's fucking stupid. It sure is fucking stupid because... Your grown-up words to say The racist did racism Which was racist Yes, when you do racism You're racist A very special thank you to someone whose counsel has always steered us in the right direction, but whose particular talents got an unusually robust workout this year, our lawyer, George Lehner. When the White House stripped Jim Acosta of his credentials, I did the easy work of pointing out that no president should get to pick and choose who covers him, while George did the hard work of drafting and filing our amicus brief in support of CNN. And that gets us, in an admittedly roundabout way, to this president. Uh, I don't want to dwell 
on the president, this is not his dinner, it is ours. And it should stay ours. But I do want to say this. In nearly 23 years as a reporter, I've been physically assaulted by Republicans and Democrats, spat on, shoved, had crap thrown at me. I've been told by senior administration officials of both major parties that I will never work in Washington again. And there was a brief moment in Afghanistan when I thought a soldier not quite old enough to shave would shoot me dead for the crime of taking a picture inside the presidential palace. And yet, I still separate my career into the period before February of 2017 and what came afterwards. And that's because February 2017 is when the President of the United States called us the enemies of the people. A few days later, I was driving my then 11-year-old son somewhere, probably soccer practice, when he burst into tears and asked me, is Donald Trump going to put you in prison? At the end of a family trip to Mexico, he mused that if the president tried to keep me out of the country, quote, at least Uncle Josh is a good lawyer and he'll get you home. <laughs> hey, Uncle Josh. Uh, I've had to tell my family not to touch packages on our stoop. My name is on a statement criticizing the president for celebrating a congressman's criminal assault on a reporter. I've had death threats, including one this week. Too many of us have. It shouldn't need to be said in a room full of people who understand the power of words but fake news and enemies of the people are not pet names, punchlines, or presidential. And we should reject politically expedient assaults on the men and women whose hard work helps make it possible to hold the powerful to account. You folks in the media write the early drafts of history, and we historians, the later ones. Your work gives freshener and color and immediacy to our sagas. I know how embattled you feel at this critical juncture as you combat the mistrust of a significant portion of the American electorate. I think you're doing noble work to preserve democracy at a time when a rising tide of misinformation masquerading as news threatens to make a mockery of the First Amendment. There are so many journalistic fakes and forgeries out there that the genuine article can become devalued and debased. You must also deal with the pervasive world of social media rife with self-appointed pundits who search out news outlets that only strengthen their preconceived views. Still, this is as good a time as any to take stock and rededicate yourself to the highest standards of journalistic integrity and accuracy. Donald J. Trump is not the first and won't be the last American president to create jitters about the First Amendment. So be humble, be skeptical, and beware of being infected by the very things you're fighting against. The press is a powerful weapon that must always be fired with reluctance and aimed with precision. Warren Buffett has a very handy saying, always take the high road, it's far less crowded there. And some days in Washington, let's face it, a high-minded politician can sail along that upper roadway for hours without spotting another car. <laughs> you folks should always remember you are heirs to a grand crusading uh, tradition that dates back to Ida B. Wells exposing the horrors of lynching. <laughs> Jacob Rees, the misery of Manhattan slums. Lincoln Steffens, municipal corruption. Ida Tarbell, the machinations of Standard Oil. Upton Sinclair, the scandalous meatpacking industry. Rachel Carson, the dangers of pesticides. Woodward and Bernstein, exposing Watergate. And the New York Times and Washington Post, publishing the Pentagon Papers. 
This is a glorious tradition. You folks are part of it, and we can't have politicians trampling on it with impunity. Yeah, a lot of hate out there. Joy, Joy Behar uh, worries that uh, the Dems play by the rules and Republicans Trump won't. Oh, really? You just had your main candidate roll out a lie. Samantha Bean are mocking the White House correspondent. I used to love that Janie actress, but now I surely fucking don't. And then an actual soundbite from her bullshit. Yeah. Dylan Byer starts out our tweets. Michael Calderon gets an important story that's been bubbling around for quite some time, which is that Brian Williams is very much on the rise. A guy who lied. Yeah. Then you got Parker Malloy from the Media Matters. Educated Hillbilly tweets it. Ha, 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 ha. Regular reminder, this is her tweet, that Twitter has a major pro-conservative bias. It's from Motherboard. Uh, Dorsey had a meeting with Trump for 30 minutes. You see the president and the CEO, Jack Dorsey, for half an hour Tuesday, and the two obviously discussed what Twitter could do to facilitate Trump's re-election. <laughs> Maybe shadow ban some big liberals account. A half an hour isn't long. We wonder how much time alt-right darling Louis Farrakhan, fangirl and Women's March co-founder Tamika Mallory spent admiring BLM at their headquarters. They have a wall for Black Lives Matter. But yeah. So when people called her off, oh, fuck off, it doesn't get lost. Wow, Mallory really makes a strong case here. Like when Media Matters told Ben Shapiro, fuck you and the borough you rode in on. She then said, hey man, I told you to fuck off, and yet here you are still saying both sides. So I'm going to just block you now. Yeah. That's the kind of people that Media Matters employs, and they're the ones the media actually go to. Yeah. In my hate category, Rolling Stones Talibi. Mueller report a fiasco for press credibility. His statement. You know what was fake news? Most of the Russiagate story. There was no Trump-Russia conspiracy. The thing we just spent three years chasing. The Mueller report is crystal clear on this. This is a guy who's anti-fucking Republican. Yeah. But... My big hate comes from a simple tweet. Carl Higby said, No one who's ever shot an AR-15. My wife looked at this and laughed her fucking ass off. This is the size of a hole made by an AR-15. Tell me again why you need that. It's three inches around. It goes back to the simple fact, these fucking people have no clue what they're talking about, but they're so fired up about it, and you get banned for Twitter for it. But they have no clue. Just like Matt Dowd doesn't. The president needs to at some point look in the mirror and understand that the rhetoric, the words he uses in all of this, inflame this big part of what's going on in America. Give permission to the most craziest people in America. Not that the president's responsible, but his rhetoric adds to that. And he needs to reflect on that because the days now that we're having these shootings, not only in public places and in concerts and in places where parties are, 
We're having them in synagogues, in mosques, mosques and Christian churches. He, he occurred at a synagogue, and yes, this person individually was anti-Semitic, but he also was a person that hated immigrants. And what happened at the Tree of Life Synagogue? Well, the guy was driven by what the Tree of Life Synagogue was doing to help refugees and immigrants. And when you relate those two things, somebody that's anti-immigrant in California, the anti-immigrant hate and refugees that's going on in the country, what happened at the Tree of Life, and then you couple that with the president's language... I put it in our hate tweets instead of the shooter section just because it's so fucking far-fetched, outlandish, bullshit. I just don't understand how you can go on TV and say that with everything that's going on. I I just don't know. But these people live in a fact-free shit world. This nearly blacked out poop map of San Francisco says all you need to know. The number rose to 28,084 fucking turds. There's an actual map that shows all of San Francisco in brown. Yeah. So open the books, mapped out every report of human feces on the streets of San Francisco since 2011. City currently hands out more than 400,000 syringes each month, but only 246,000 are returned, leaving 154,000 syringes on the street. Maybe that's why, next story, Scarlett Johansson, Democratic Party is broken in a lot of ways. I think I have to do a little soul searching. Yeah, your whole party does. Rob Reiner. We have a choice to make. Either hold televised impeachment proceedings or watch our democracy slowly slip away. Oh, really? Okay. Donald Trump, of 72, was asked, how old is too old to be president? His jokey reply was perfect, taking a shot at dim frontrunner 77-year-old Bernie Sanders and 76-year-old Joe Biden. Well, I think this just feel like a young man. I'm so young, I can't believe it. I'm the young person. I'm young, vibrant man. I look at Joe. I don't know about him. I don't know. I would never say anyone's too old, but I know they're all making me look very young, both in terms of age and I think in terms of energy. I think you people know that better than anybody. Joshua Molina, a a bit actor on the West Wing. Trump is a young, vibrant man like I'm an EGOT. Yeah. He is a young, vibrant man compared to you. You're a douche. Matt Yanglesi, the male candidate worth voting for, would be the one who actually stands aside in favor of a woman he thinks would do a great job. There you go. Yeah, good man. A couple podcasts ago, uh, we talked about Bosa getting drafted because the draft's there. We'll talk about it briefly in our lighter fare. Yeah, he uh, he apologized. First thing he did was apologize. Yeah. Which goes into a journalism professor, Jeff Jarvis. There's no good reason why more cable news shows do not look like this. And it's AM racist joy with only black people on the screen. Of course, everybody gave my raft of shit that, well, yeah, the split screen looks really good. It's really fucking funny. <laughs> to our tweets of the day, CNBC Centelli lauds Whopper 3.2 growth in GDP, folks. That's pretty, wow. Isaiah Washington's our next one. Let the coon accusations begin. He's a black man. 
But I have a few questions. So I'm to believe that all the white Trump supporters are violent, disgusting, fascist, racist because they're white. So am I also responsible for all the black-on-black murdering? Because I'm black, right? Yeah. Good point. But our tweet of the day is a soundbite. A wimpy kid with his little backpack decided to talk shit to an American hero. The way he handles it perfectly. It's just perfect. So that's what we'll play out. And we'll go on a music break. News. Social media nuggets. Uh, TPUSA is for Nazis, and you should be ashamed of your service in Afghanistan. It was an illegal war of aggression by the United States. You should be ashamed of yourself, not proud of your service. If you have to call somebody a Nazi, it's a good indicator that you haven't thought through your argument very well. Uh, I don't know how I follow that. That was fun. At least we had some a little bit of... Was, um, okay. But get more creative with your insults, man. Like Nazi, come on.
trying to get crazy with this, see? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. different from your rain man suite at the military hospital yeah they definitely leave this out of those flashy recruiting videos this is a soldier's reward for serving a healthcare system that runs like the post office military corner that was the scene from seal team i spoke about came out on a website i wanted to play it um navy launches safety review after two navy recruits die at boot camp within Eight weeks and they were females. Um, that, that's just not good. Um, other military news. We had the uh, draft here. A lot of military appreciation in it. Chris Young and Joe Thomas joined Salute to Service at the draft. Uh, we'll talk more in the lighter fare, but doggone Nashville did it right. Um, I don't think there was a single talking head that said that they should stay in the permanent rotation. There were so many people. The energy was incredible. Um, yeah, and a lot of salute to military, which I thought was cool. Do U.S. high schools bar military recruiters? Activists try to call Pentagon's bluff. Peace activists are offering 2000 to a high school that admits it prevents U.S. military recruiters from entering a campus, an effort they say to discredit military leaders who claim that 1,100 high school nationwide are barring recruits from schools. Author and anti-war activist David Swanson and Pat Elder, director of the National Coalition to Protect Student Privacy, are asking schools that deny access to military recruiters to post a video online with the hashtag RecruiterFreeSchool. Uh, secretary Mark Esper, the Army Secretary, said that after falling short in meeting recruiting goals in 2018, the service has launched a major recruiting campaign in 22 cities, but was finding that schools are not letting our recruiters in, or counselors. And uh, that's usual left-wing stuff. They hate the military. To our college crazy, this is a bunch of college students that are brainless, and they're seeing videos, I guess, of the first time in their life of Biden being a creep. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at the University of Iowa talking to young voters about the 2020 race and specifically Joe Biden. Last week, videos went viral of him appearing to touch young women inappropriately. Will people here have a problem with that and will it impact the way they vote in the upcoming caucus? Let's find out. Joe Biden, obviously one of the favorites. Uh, he hasn't announced officially, but he's still polling in first place in many states. There's a video going around Twitter that had gone viral of him appearing to touch young women inappropriately. So I'm going to play the video for you guys, and I want to see if you guys think it's harmless or if you think that it's inappropriate. Ew. Oh, my. Oh, no. Lee's very close to them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really weird. What's he doing? This is a long compilation, jeez. <laughs> Look at her face. 
and even like all everyone else you can tell that they're kind of uncomfortable with the way he acts yeah that's definitely like very excessive like there's no need to be grabbing at people like that what's your initial reaction when you see these videos that's really creepy yeah ew i'd say it's a little on the strange side um they've got a lot of they've got a lot of different clips there which is obviously doesn't look, look very good for joe biden's definitely creepy i'd Various of ages of women too, so it's not just it was young women and a little bit older women, so it's just very wrong, and that should not be a thing. Yeah, I think it's a classic example of men not not responding to being around women properly. Like at a certain point, what is just like not getting the memo about personal space and what is just not like respecting it. If like I wasn't related to him and he did that, I'd think it's creepy. I think it's definitely recurring. I I don't know how you wouldn't notice that you were doing that and like being creepy towards someone. Yeah. Do you think it has a factor in the race? I think it does because I mean that's absolutely wrong and he might not think that, but that's a problem. I do think it's probably something that people are going to think about just with like everything that's been going on with like Me Too movement and things like that. Stuff like this could definitely have an impact on the, the presidential election. Got it. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I would agree, especially like if it keeps like coming back up and doesn't blow over, it, it'll definitely be a game changer. Okay. Well, you know, what should we do about this? And maybe their first step will be like not wanting to vote for him. <laughs> I feel like it's shocking enough that it can be can affect his chances. If your professor did this to you in class, what would your reaction be? Holy shit, I need to leave. I would be so creeped out. <laughs> I think I would tell my friends and ask them what I should do. Yeah, I don't know. Same. If a professor was touching you the way Joe Biden was touching women in these videos, what would be your reaction? The same as these women. No, would not be okay with that. If you had a professor and you saw them doing this to a, a girl in your class, what would you think? Uh, I, I think something fishy was happening. That's... <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Thanks so much for watching. If you want to donate to help us make more videos just like that, you can click right here. And if you want to be the first person to see all of our new content, click the subscribe button right here. Please, click one of them. doesn't have to be both. One or the other. Okay. Thanks. Really got to get out of the bubble if you've never seen that. Stanford Flyer massages and acupunctures only for trans and non-binary students. Oh, isn't that nice? Queer student group at Stanford University recently advertised free massages, sound healing, and acupuncture, but only for transgender and non-binary. Need a break? We got you one, the Flyer said. The event is sponsored by Stanford Student for Queer Resistance and Trans Liberation Student Group and Queer Students Resources. The event is open to only to trans and non-binary students, staff and faculty, Sound healing available for 20-minute massage. If you're straight, go fuck yourself. Hmm. Kind of pairs nicely with MSU to national science students. No science is needed to support transgender and non-binary identities. Yeah. The College of Natural Science at Michigan State University urged students to use a singular pronoun they in the early April transgender visibility email. MSU National Security Council... National Science Council, sorry, on diversity and community authored the email obtained by Campus Reform entitled Increasing Transgender Visibility on Campus, which asked students to reflect on how visibility of minoritized groups is essential to changing our campus culture and provided several online resources to help improve students' understanding. These include the links to LGBT Resource Center, how to learn about and start using Singular They, a resource on hosting queer inclusive workshop, one dedicated to inviting transgender and gender diverse scientists, 
guided on transphobia and more. No science is needed to support transgender and non-binary identities. It is simply a matter of affirming their experiences. Yeah. In one of these classes, a slide was all over Twitter. The title, Parallels Between Fetuses and Cancers. Yeah. I thought that was, you know, about abortion, but it's still... Science isn't a thing we're using anymore if you're a liberal. I mean, science pretty much is about facts, and we're factless. Berkeley hosts conference on right-wing studies, but it doesn't seem so right-wing. The University of California, Berkeley, is hosting a right-wing study conference hosted by Center for Right-Wing Studies, which found founded during the rise of conservative Tea Party. The CRWS is hosting an inaugural conference on right-wing studies, April 25th, 27th. The event is featuring scholars whose work deals with right as a social, political, or intellectual phenomenon from the 19th century to present day. As the name implies, the center studies right-wing movements, both in the United States and abroad, and has held events on topics including, but not limited to, historical and present-day American conservatism, Christianity, blah, blah, blah. Lawrence Rosenthal, a longtime faculty member at Berkeley and Fulbright Award winner, is the chair of the lead research of the Berkeley CRWS, blah, 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 the academic quarter, blah, 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 blah. Basically, everybody's from SPLC. The whole course curriculum is not about rights. It's about left, and that pretty much makes sense since it's Berkeley. Basic Becky conference explores emboldened female teachers enacting their whiteness. Oh, enact your whiteness? What the fuck? You're racist. You're white. Stop doing it. An academic conference in Toronto, Canada, hosted a symposium focusing on critical Becky studies with multiple professors and faculty from American University participating. The early April symposium was part of the American Educational Research Association annual meeting. One of the main goals of the session was to problematize the way people think about the term Becky and the tradition of speculative fiction, parable, and counter-storytelling within the critical race theory. This session aims to problematize the characterization of Becky, a term specific to white women who engage, engages in whiteness, often as gendered ways. I'm sorry for the background. I can't kill the birds. I, I really want to. The session description states, This characterization is relative to education by critically examining who is Becky and how she is characterized, her positionality and education, and how the hope for diversity, inclusion, equality, and racial justice within the P20 educational pipeline is impacted by Becky. A basic racist term made by black people. That's really good that the schools are doing this. Good for you. Schools shelling out tens, maybe hundreds of thousands for LGBT staff. Shippensburg University of Pennsylvania is seeking out a coordinator for the Pride Center. While the school is willing to pay up to 41000 for the role, another university is willing to fork up more than double of that. Because gosh darn it, we need more gay people. This one. Yeah, I know. Never knew this existed. Fat sex therapist compares fitness trainers to Nazis. Children dieting to sexual assault. <laughs> I truly believe that a child cannot consent to being on a diet the same way a child cannot consent to having sex. Shonali Rashwatwar, whose Instagram username is the fat sex therapist, proclaimed Thursday at St. Olaf College. She continued, I experience diet culture as a form of assault because it impacts the way that I experience my body. 
The comments and more were made in context of a two-hour speech sponsored by St. Olaf College Wellness Center, Women's and Gender Studies Department, and Center for Equality and Inclusion on the topic of radical fat liberation. (laughs) I need to get on board this cause because I'm a fat ass. I want to be fat liberated. I don't even know what that means. The talk included assertions that fitness contributed to the recent Christchurch shooting, that people should challenge the rule of law as well as the authority of and of the police. Tonight we're going to start by talking about how to politicize our definition of body image, because oftentimes we actually get stuck thinking of it from a white supremacist lens. Only white people are fat. Remember that. She then explained how white supremacy happens every day in all the little things. During the course of the talk, Rush Water, Rush Rushout with fucking douchebag, listed listed science as one of those supposedly white supremacist everyday things. Yes, science is white supremacist. We should be critical of the use of science and the production of knowledge to continue promoting this idea that certain bodies are fit, able, and desirable. It is my fatness that causes my high blood pressure, or is it my experience of weight stigma? Well, I'm sorry, sweetheart. It's your fatness. When I lost a lot of weight, my blood pressure went way low. Yeah, I'm a fat ass on blood pressure medicine. I know this. She then connected the science suggesting that obesity is unhealthy to Nazism, saying that fat-phobic science is often actually eugenic science. Eugenic science is Nazi science. There you go. Six degrees of separation. You can make everything a Nazi. However, she then pivoted to support scientific findings as she pondered intentionally pursuing weight loss, claiming that what we're discovering scientifically is that that's not possible. After addressing the topic of science and making her claim that there is no connection between high blood pressure and obesity, Rashawada Douchebag turned to discuss political philosophy and policy. This conversation about pushing off our own well-being on the individuals part of the 80s Reagan air policies that again try to move the structural obligation of system and the social safety net onto the individual instead of thinking that there should be social supports that also help me to subsidize my food costs. I can't do it anymore. But I have to because then she gets into Christchurch. Finally, she took a crack at the recent events of Christchurch. I don't think it's surprising that the man who shot up Christ Church, New Zealand, was also a fitness instructor, Crosswater said. After making this claim, she added that the shooting is a clear communication that there's still an idolized body. Nazis really love this idea of idolized body, and so it makes a lot of sense to me that a fitness instructor might also think about an idea of idolized body in his thin, white, supremacist way. <laughs> After the lecture, campus reform spoke with Will Dowdy, a freshman uh, who lost over 100 pounds. The entire speech was very troubling to me, Dowdy. said, I know from personal experience that health is absolutely connected with weight. And he is living in facts, but this wahoo isn't. You know, she's not much different than AOC. Let's be honest, man. They just string a lot of disconnected shit and call it white supremacy. God, you gotta love liberals, man. They can make some fucking bullshit up. Can you believe these Ivy League 2019 commencement speakers? Well, let's find out. Historically, colleges representing the Ivy League have consistently chosen liberal and progressive politicians and activists to address their graduate classes. This year, the selection appears to be much more neutral. Hmm. 
The Ivy League is comprised of, well, we don't give a fuck. Dartmouth and UPenn have ex- external guest speakers at commencement ceremonies, while the other five schools' presidents give the keynote address and host their external speakers at auxiliary events. Uh, Brown University President Christina Paxson gives the keynote address, while rising Hollywood force John Krasinski, a writer, director, and actor of Brown Alumnus, will speak at the University of Bachelor Service. Krasinski is a strong supporter of veterans. Dartmouth C- College is hosting internationally renowned celloist Yo-Yo Mon. Hmm. UPenn, Brian Stevenson, Princeton uh, has President Christopher Ugerber and Ellie Kemper. And this article is not as good as I thought it was going to be. So let's move on. UMass recruits pro-Palestinian panel to address attacks on Representative Ilhan Omar. So they can ensure that they only get the talking points they want. UC Berkeley Jewish Org condemns Zionist tears. Other remarks amid student government showdown. Students reportedly said, fuck Zionists, and claimed that Israel Defense Force teaches American police to murder black people. Oh, really? A student government has previously stripped 14 candidate elects of their position, alleging campaign finance misconduct. So, fuck your Zionist tears. Yeah. IDF is over here all the time teaching all the cops to kill the black people. Just make the shit up. Petition. Yale must disarm the police and donate to BLM. Let's look at this one. Uh, Yale University disarm its police officers and make a donation to Black Lives Matter in response to state-sanctioned violence. A petition circulating Yale student body and addresses to Yale University President Paul Solvini calls for the immediate disarmament of campus police in the wake of a shooting on Tuesday. Who do you protect? Who do you serve? He chanted. Armed campus police are at risk to the students. They are sworn to protect into the communities in which schools reside. There is an epidemic of police violence and police brutality in this country, and this shooting all too tragically shows that Yale is not immune to this issue. We will not allow the Yale Police Department to contribute to this epidemic of by acting violently against the members of the community. The shooting occurred on the morning of Tuesday, April 16th, when Hamden, Connecticut officer Devin, Devin Eaton and Yale officer Terrace Pollock opened fire on Stephanie Washington, a passenger police vehicle, in a vehicle police said was believed to be implicated in an attempted armed robbery of a newspaper delivery employee at Hamden Gas Station. According to News 8 and the Hartford Current, Washington and Pollock were injured in the confrontation, but Pollock is in a stable condition and Washington has been released from opposition. Yeah. Just a second. Let me tell the dog to shut up. I mean, the point that they had the gun doesn't really matter to these people. There was a hundred BLM off uh, mem- members there. They stormed the headquarters. Yeah, these fucking people are just fucking anarchists. UCLA is now teaching students how to pole dance, and I thought that was a good way to enter college because that's probably more than they get in the usual classes. I mean, think about it. A little pole dancing, they can take to the next career. That was fucking sexist. I don't care. Planned Parenthood outrageously claims no medical benefit to abortion pill reversal. On April 22nd, Democratic Kansas Governor Laura Kelly vetoed SB 67, a bill which would have merely informed women about the possibility of abortion pill reversal. But it's not just Kansas governors. Some liberal media outlets are complicit in denying a woman the full range of information when it comes to abortion pill. 
the article Mira Shaw, PPFA, writes Jezebel about shattering the abortion reversal myth. It is only a theory that has been introduced by anti-abortion activists and politicians to further attack access. No evidence that medication abortion reversal is possible. If there wasn't evidence, there wouldn't be a pill, dumbass. Marvel president, movies will go inclusive, adding gay and body positive heroes. And the picture that came with this is a big fat Captain Marvel. I thought it was funny. Phase 2 of Marvel comic book cinematic universe is going to involve a few less of our classic superheroes in favor of a bold new array of diverse and inclusive characters. Yes, Marvel's going a lot more ethnic, a lot more gay, because that's cooler. According to Marvel Studio, the upcoming film Avenger Endgame will close a massive chapter on the decade of filmmaking, but no need to shed a tear. Marvel intends a whole new round of comic book film adaptations, but this time with a new age twist. Nerd culture outlet The Mary Sue wrote that Marvel's head Kevin Fagg, that's his name, didn't call him a fag, is looking for, towards the bold, inclusive future of the brand that includes all sorts of LGBTQ, EIEIO, and body positive characters. That's right. But anyone couldn't tell by the heavy PC feminist marketing behind their latest blockbuster, Captain Marvel, Marvel intends on slowly stepping into the identity politics playing field. Fag told the Mary Sue about the next foray in a big, diverse world with Marvel's first ever Chinese-American crime fighter, Shang Chai. Fag stated, We only want to do movies that people seem to think are risks. Doing the story of an Asian-American hero of Chinese heritage is something that is very intriguing to us. Oh, Jesus Christ. You guys are just going to check every block. Marvel is already in pre-production on another film, The Eternal, starring Angelina Jolie and super lefty Kumai Nanjani. Fag. Ideas for finding something really different and special involve wrangling up a gay Asian male lead and what will be their first openly gay character. Oh, and the film also sports its first woman of color director, Zhao. I I can't even speak on this stupid shit. I'll let Brie Larson's ego speak for us. For me, what I'm proud of is that it's it's normalizing something that should have been normalized a long time ago. It's not a crazy concept to me that women can lead giant franchises and make money for corporations. It's fine. You know what I mean? It's like, we can do that too. Everybody can do it. Um, and so I think to be able to break that ceiling in a way... Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? God, she loves herself. Kristen Stewart, who did that really fucked up rendition of, uh... Oh, that, I can't remember the fucking name of the movie where the kid kills her kids. Her kid kills her parents with a hatchet in the 1800s. Tired of seeing hetero films all the fucking time. Because she's gay. Well, I'm sick of seeing gay films all the time in my Netflix fucking feed. I don't watch them. I don't know why they're there. Amy Poehler, hard to avoid daily full-on panic attack because of the crazy mind of Trump. Uh, okay. Well, I have a hard time not going full panic over stories like this. Woman gets Uber dryer fired for refusing to take her to get an abortion. 20-year-old college students upstate New York reported to Uber driver for refusing to take her to get an abortion. According to the woman's account, which was reported on Yahoo Style, the ride-sharing company canned the pro-lifer. But now the woman is looking to take legal against action against him. I'm in college, upstate New York. I don't have a car on campus. 
I'm 20 year old and I found out I was pregnant and subsequently decided to have an abortion because I'm in no position to take care of her child. She found a clinic about an hour from her house. She called some fuckhead. It's PPFA, but I don't have a car. I rely on Uber. Student camera interaction with the Uber driver attempted to dissuade the woman from choosing an abortion for telling her he could not drive her to the clinic. Uh, I was shocked. I had no idea what to say, so I just remained quiet. But then, I know it's none of my business, but and proceeded to mention something about his wife being pregnant. He said, I'm sorry, but I can't take you the rest of the way. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Got out of the car, and they started crying. I called my parents each three times, but they didn't pick up. Then I called my boyfriend. He picked me up right away. He managed to calm me down. The driver then hung around from 10 to 15 minutes to ask once more if I wanted to go back with him. After he left, a cab came, and I got to my appointment an hour late. Driver otherwise is good reviews from Patron was fired after she reported it, and now she wants to sue him. She filed a police report because he dropped her off prior because she asked to get out of the car. Ah, Jesus Christ. Some liberal judge will let this go through. Democrat state representative saw last week that we should charge men for a hundred bucks every time they jerk off. Well, she said, hold my fucking white wine. Men should be castrated to end abortions, taxed to store their sperm. She actually put a bear up. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Eco-sexuals believe having sex with the earth could save it. From skinny dippers to people of actual intercourse in nature, eco-sexuality is a growing movement taking a new approach to combating climate change. This is a real article. They fucking think this is a real article. Yeah, I'm going to fuck Mother Earth, and that's going to fix everything. You know, you're about as smart as those people who say, hey, you know what? Why don't we go and uh, take away those little bottles? Because little bottles are going to save the fucking planet. Fucking wahoos. Wahoos! Man. Twitter, sorry to take a drink. Twitter's so liberal that the staff think GOP and Nazis are the same thing. Oh, goddamn, that explains it. They need a class on what Nazis were. Twitter is so mired in liberal propaganda that its views opposite ideology is the equivalent of white supremacy. In a report by Vice Motherboard, a Twitter executive told an employee in a meeting that Twitter could not ban white supremacists in the same way it bans as ISIS terrorists. He argued that building an algorithm to ban Nazis could result to ban several Republican politicians currently in office. Vice interviewed an extremist researcher, Amarnath Amargaskabram, none of these are Americans, who said that some of the Trump tweets fell in the category of white supremacy, so it becomes hard for social media companies to say all of this content should be removed. At a TED Talk interview on April 16th, Whitney Pennington Rogers asked Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey why Twitter hadn't banned the Nazis yet. Dorsey replied, we have a situation right now where that term is used fairly loosely. We just cannot take any one mention of a word accusing someone else as an actual indication of whether someone can be removed from the platform. Dorsey's employees seem to disagree with him on that account. Twitter has created an algorithm to ban ISIS terrorists and propaganda that is so militant that it also bans Arabic language broadcasters and others' account. Vice said that society in general accepts the benefit of banning ISIS for inconveniencing some others. The fact that Twitter can make a decision to sacrifice the accounts of some innocent users in order to completely eradicate ISIS from the platform shows how much power the tech company has. Ban all conservatives! That's what they really want. 
Change.org says to Twitter, Hold my beer! is allegedly censoring a petition from an anti-Semitism watchdog group. The watchdog group StopAntiSemitism.org They don't stop fascism now. Isn't that interesting? We describe itself as a group that exposes anti-Semitism in all facets of American society through social media platform and mobilizing America through petitions that call to action. Currently has nearly 34,000 signatures for a change.org position entitled Call on USAG and Anti-Semitism Envoy Care to car to probe Hamas affiliated care ties. The petition makes claim that care has ties. It's not a claim, it's true. And Chainsaw wouldn't let him do it. Took it down. Gotta protect care. Conservative ads banned by Google for condemning infanticide. Google has gone out of its way to attack Conservative American PAC, a pro life conservative political action committee run by Tom Donaldson. Uh, they say they permanently banned from advertising on Google on April 5th. The company informed Donaldson in an email that the account will not be reinstated and that any attempts to create a new account result in another suspension. The PAC ran two 10-second ads targeting Democrat senators for their votes against Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. The video ad included an image of a woman holding a baby while a female voice said Democrat senators like Tina Smith oppose medical care for babies. I'm pro-choice, but why does that mean I have to oppose medical care for a baby? Google declined to comment because they're Democrat. Democrats through the core, but this is not surprising. This is happening all the time. They don't let conservatives put up ads. Uh, You can put all sorts of ads. Abortion is safe and smarter than carrying your baby, but you can't do them to block it. California restaurants can now add a dollar, a 1% surcharge to help fight climate change. In other news, they're also losing business, raising rates on all their fucking meals and laying off employees because they're fighting for 15. So here's another 1%. I hope you guys enjoy unemployment in the breadline because that's where you're at. Top Maritime Museum is our last crazy for the fuck. Oh, no, I got a couple more crazy. I thought this is the last crazy, but it's not the last crazy because this is just a crazy, crazy college crazy. A lot of crazy. Top Maritime Museum to stop calling ships she and make them gender neutral. So they're going to send they ships. <laughs> oh, fucking damn it. Won't read this one, but ESPN blogger says intolerant attitudes lurk behind beautiful ode to our nation. ESPN, a sports network, is our last crazy. And they said, God bless America is grounded in racism. Yeah. It makes about as much sense as Elizabeth Warren this week that said, nurses don't treat black women the same as white women. Really? Yeah. But the left, they're summed up by one tweet. And then we're out of the crazy. Ashley Rose. White people must move the question of if I'm racist to how I'm racist. We have deeply internalized racial superiority and must own this in a Western colonial society. Hashtag anti-racist book fest. Yeah. That's how they think. And she's white. And cool news, has the Apollo 10 lunar module finally been found? Astronomers believe they have located NASA's probe left orbiting the moon 50 years ago 
And now they want to bring it back to Earth. In 1969, they ejected it, and they found it. The sun was blocking them, so they couldn't see it. So that would be kind of cool to bring that back. Mm-hmm. In the crazy, crazy, funny stuff, no, putting garlic in your vagina will not cure a yeast infection. Wow! That's a real article in a real magazine, folks. I just stared at it and went, who the fuck is doing that? Are you going to vampire down by your vajayjay? I mean, seriously, bro. Garlic? I've said it before. Don't mix food with sex. If I was a young man, some woman put that down by their vajayjays. All I think about is pasta. Ruin the whole thing. To our American Patriot Handbook, before we head off to our lighter fare. Today, in 1854, Ashman Institute, now Lincoln University, the first college for African-American students is established in Chester County, Pennsylvania. 1898, the first American Cancer Lab is established in Buffalo. 1913, Gideon Sunback of Hoboken, New Jersey, patents the first modern zipper. 1945, U.S. troops liberate the Dachau concentration camp. In 1975, American officials evacuate Saigon and North Vietnam. Tomorrow, the 30th American History Parade, 1789, George Washington takes office. 1803, the United States concludes negotiations with France for the Louisiana Purchase, doubling the size of the Young Republic but for $15 million. That and the one for Alaska is unbelievable. 1812, Louisiana becomes the 18th state. 1939, Lou Gehrig plays his last game of the New York Yankees, ending his streak of 2,130 games. 1939, FDR becomes the first president to appear on TV at the World's Fair. 1975, the last American evacuates Saigon. And on May 1st, which is my beautiful wife's birthday, I call her a little communist, making heart-shaped cherry chip cake. Got the pans and everything. They're probably not going to come out right because I always fuck up Kate's. 1884, construction begins on the home insurance building in Chicago. 1898, a squadron of U.S. ships defeat a Spanish squadron in Manila. 1931, a 102-story Empire State Building is dedicated. 1941, Orson Welles film Citizen Kane debuts. 1963, Jim Whitaker becomes the first American to climb Mount Everest. 1968, Gigi, my wife's born. And in 1970, the U.S. population reaches 203,302,031. To our lighter fare, we got quite a few today. So I'm going to play first, Bill Maher. Kind of bashing there, Mr. Schiff, for stalking Trump. I thought it was funny. But, but, but this was our big gun. Now it just looks like you're stalking him. Uh, I, I think in the eyes of the people who don't follow it that closely, which is most of the country, was here's the thing about Bob Mueller. He's like the last person, maybe the last thing in America that left and right agreed on. Left and right basically agreed. This is a guy of honor. This is an honest guy. This is an honest broker. Whatever he says goes. Americans are not into details. Don't read it to me, Bob. Just give me a thumbs up, a thumbs down. The fact that he was like, uh, 
I, I don't. If you were, if you couldn't impeach before, how are you going to impeach after, or should you? Well, were you on that? Yeah. Our next one. Somebody decided to make a version of Biden saying "fucking shotgun." You can buy your shotgun, and it's really funny. So I'm going to play it. I had two shotguns in my home. They're locked in a safe. There's a metal gun case. We live in an area that's wooded, somewhat secluded. And I said, Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony and fire two blasts outside the house. Buy shotgun. Buy shotgun. You don't need machine gun. You don't need 30 rounds. Buy shotgun. You don't need a flamethrower, and you don't need a tank, and you don't need an AR-15 to scare those thugs away, no, and I don't need a grenade launcher, I don't need an F-15, there's just one thing I need to do, and they'll stay away from me. Fire two guys outside the house, buy a shotgun, buy a shotgun, buy a shotgun, buy a shotgun, and lastly, Amima went around this weekend. Amima went around. There's a snowflake tapping a cop with a balloon. And he pushes her balloon, balloon away. And this is the sound she makes. He never touched her. Never touched her, folks. But that's liberals. I mean, that's just liberals for you. I mean, let's not live in real. We got to make everything something, and we got to make a big deal out of it, and we got to go fucking crazy about it. Our last ladder fair is the Packers. Going to go over their names. Not going to get in depth because none of you care, really. I mean, unless you're a Packer fan. Rashawn Gary, defensive end, Michigan. I remember him. He's good. Uh, Daryl Savage from Maryland. I remember seeing him. He was good. Uh, Elton Jenkins from Mississippi State. Jay Sternberger, tight end from uh, Texas A&M. Kingsley Keek, a defensive tackle, Texas A&M. Kadar Holman, quarterback from Toledo. Uh, Dexter Williams, a running back from Notre Dame. I've seen him. He's good. And Ty Summer, a linebacker from TCU. I thought he was really good. So uh, no wide receivers. Kind of bothered me. But, you know, I... What the fuck do I know? I'm just a fan. Which takes us into our This Is America, the worst and last sound bites, which is a lie because we have some more sound bites on a brief pause because that's when I'll tell you all to go away if you don't want to have spoilers of the day. And these are four separate incidences around the Atlanta area of white kids getting beat up by black kids. No, I'm not racist. I just want to bring it up there. Uh, we talk about white supremacy all the time, and I can't see any white supremacist beatdowns. You see shootings every once in a while for cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but the left literally is just full of people beating up other people. So, listen to this and tell me we don't have a problem with progressives. This is America. Don't catch you slipping, no. Don't 
catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last sound bite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. Look at that, a girl fight caught on camera. The mother of at least two of the teens involved says her daughters are being targeted time and time again. Carolyn Shearer can barely stand to look at this video of her daughter being viciously attacked by another girl in the Stowe Rock School District. Nobody deserves to be beaten like that. We had to bleep out the cursing, but you can hear the other girls cheering as the eighth grader hits a defenseless 17-year-old Kirsten Thornton over and over again with a sock full of rocks. Surprisingly, her cries for help go ignored. She says she'd stopped at this gas station on her way to a relative's house when the group of girls surrounded her while one of them pulled out a cell phone and began recording the rock assault. Are you worried for your safety now? What? I mean, a little bit. That's why Shearer believes strongly all of the girls involved should have been criminally charged and kicked out of school. Get your ass, nigga. Get your ass. 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 Get your ass.
Every week I could put one of these up, folks. It's happening over and over, and it never makes the media. And we got people running around acting like they got to beat up white people because they think white people are a bunch of white supremacists. It's dangerous. I understand the left doesn't realize when they ask for 16-year-olds and criminals and illegals to vote. But they don't understand the ramifications. They just The media and the Dems, they just want to win elections. So they don't think about the ramifications of anything, really. Nor did Trump and company, or Bush and company, when they were freaking everybody out with yellow alerts and shit and making everybody paranoid. But um, there's got to be a time that we stop as a country and go, yeah, no. This has got to stop. So... This is the point, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, if you've not seen the battle for Winterfell, I bid you adieu and thank you for listening. If you choose to stay on, you're going to get some spoilers because I'm going to rap about it. I'm going to let you know right up front, I'm starting now. The battle of Winterfell took 55 days to film, 750 people on on the scene, longest episode ever, 82 minutes for Game of Thrones. The longest battle sequence in a film or TV history, and longer than Lot R's Battle of Helm's Deep, Miguel Sopachik was directing, and he did Hard Home and the Battle of Bastards, and this fucking episode was the shit. Here's a little soundbite to get us in the mood. The most heroic thing we can do now is look the truth in the face. Dead are already here. Sweet summer child, what do you know about fear? Fear is for the winter, when the snows fall a hundred feet deep. Fear is for the long night, when the sun hides for years, and children are born and live and die, all in darkness. That is the time for fear, my little lord, when the white walkers move through the woods. Thousands of years ago, there came a night that lasted a generation. Kings froze to death in their castles, same as the shepherds in their huts. And women smothered their babies rather than see them starve, and wept, and felt the tears freeze on their cheeks. So is this the sort of story that you like? In that darkness, the white walkers came for the first time. They swept through cities and kingdoms, riding their dead horses, hunting with their packs of pale spiders, big as hounds. You're a witch. You're going to hurt him. I see a darkness in you. 
And in that darkness, eyes staring back at me. Brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes. Eyes you'll shut forever. We will meet again. Okay, I super geeked on that one. And the reason why is within this episode are so many throwbacks that I don't remember. First and foremost was a little uh, nursemaid going, Oh, my sweet summer child, you don't know in the dark and the beast and the burden and the walkers. Well, that came to fruition when they started the fight and the snow was three feet up a bull's ass dark. And then... Lady, the Red Witch, comes back, lights the frickin' swords of the Dothraki, and then she runs into Arya, and she, they met each other, and I didn't remember that at all. Now, I'm in season two, I think, um, re-watching, because I haven't watched in a while. A year ago, we watched everything all over again, and then we watched season eight a couple times, and I'm re-watching everything. Um, unbeknownst to my wife, I bought her the season one through seven box set, which are like 300 fucking dollars, Blu-ray, but I got it on, um, an excellent condition on eBay for 75 bucks. So that's her birthday present, and... I know, not fancy, but we're in the practical phase because we're saving money. And then we'll just have to buy season eight when it comes out, and we have the complete set because it's not going to stay out there on, you know, Amazon and everything else forever. And I don't remember this scene. So I just played it because it becomes a very key role in the end of The Night King, which nobody expected. So anybody that knows the show, we all went in thinking everybody's going to fucking die and not a whole lot of important people died. Um, the last dude on the wall died. Uh, fucking Reek died. But other than that, the big stars made it through. So the thought process is the next three is the fight for the Iron Throne, which is what we've been dicking around with for fucking ten years. Uh, the Iron Throne fight. But... I, like I said when we started this podcast, I literally did not move for 82 minutes. We had the lights out, some candles burning, because in the beginning of this, I had one of those high-speed modern, uh, touch of modern, I don't remember, I think it burned alcohol, um, wall flame, you know, the ones that blew, they burn blue, and it's really cool, it's got a glass front. And we used to watch this on Sunday nights before we went to bed, and we'd light that torch and, you know, give it that, ooh, we're in Westeros feeling when we finally got into it, which, once again, we didn't get into it till season five. Um, we had played it off. I didn't like the George Bush shit. Um, it just didn't seem like, you know, witches and fucking dragons and shit I really wasn't into. But then we power-watched all four seasons on DirecTV because it was free, and boom, we got into it. So we started religiously watching for five, six, and seven. So last night we got the candles on. It's dark as fuck. It's, you know, eight o'clock. Didn't get over to 9.30 our time. We usually are asleep by nine or 8.30 on a Sunday because the week starts for the wife. And 
I didn't move. We put the animals up, and I was just transfixed on this show. Now, be honest, I woke up this morning and watched it again. It was that good. Um, you know, we wake up at 5 a.m., so I watched the whole damn thing again. But the flow of the battle, there's a lot of parts you can't see stuff. It's just kind of chaotic because of the snow. You got dragon fights. You got Danny almost getting killed, and then Mormont, he dies. Lady Mormont kills a giant, she dies. Um, Jon Snow fights a fucking dragon. I mean, this shit's the bomb. If you're a geek like me, I started listening to podcasts, season five. It's shed on TV. Um, what is the actual name? I think I said it wrong last time. It's Game of Thrones. Oh, I guess it's just Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones on the Throne podcast. Um, and, you know, they had broke down all these conspiracies that John was the chosen saint, you know, the prince that was promised, and broke down the Jenny song that I talked about last podcast, blah, 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 blah. Well, a lot of these conspiracies came to through. The Crips did come to life because in a key scene where the Night King falls off his dragon, the dragon gets fucked up by the other dragon. I'm not doing this like a geeky podcaster i'm just doing the generals you know john's facing them and that dude turns around and just raises the dead we're talking the hundred thousand have probably been killed up to that point of whites and the dragons and uh, trebuchets um and then all the crypt wakes up and they start killing all the people that were in there the the wives and kids you know it was just everything they'd say would happen and in this key scene, the Red Witch tells her, I told you you would kill green eyes, brown eyes, and blue eyes. And she runs off. You have no idea what's going on. Key scene, beautiful piano that's playing behind me as I talk right now. I don't know where Arya kills the fucking Night King. You just did not see it coming. Anybody was in the show, you pretty much figured Winterfell's done. Everybody's fucking dead. They started the show that way because all the Dothrakis with their flaming swords and a thousand fucking horses all get wiped the fuck out. They did it perfect. You just watch thousands of swords get extinguished. And then in comes the mob. Um, <clears throat> you never thought Ira, 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 I can never say her name, Arya, would kill him. But she did. So this leaves us set up for the fight for the Iron Throne. What is Jon Snow going to do? Because him and Danny are not very nice to each other now. They're not talking. They argued last night. He kind of left her, and we don't know where that dragon went because that dragon was getting fucked up and it flew away. Jon's dragon was good, so they might not only have one dragon. And to be a realist, because I'm not a gooby... I sound like a gooby talking about this show because I really am into the you know the climactic season. Everybody's dead. So what fucking army are they taking down to fucking King's Landing? I mean, they don't have an army. They all died. Pretty much everybody was dead. So there might be some bullshit coming down with you know people we didn't see. But um, that was the greatest show I've ever seen on TV. I mean, it was that good. You were on the edge of your seat. My heart was racing. I literally didn't go to bed for an hour. The wife went right to sleep. I literally just laid there and stared in the dark thinking about all the things that just went down. 
and then I rewatched it and thought about it for another time. I mean, I sat and held my podcast because I was so enamored with what had just happened. It was amazing. So, if you're not into Game of Thrones, you really should give it a go. There is a lot of fucking gore, and there's a lot of sex, and you know, brothers and sisters are fucking each other. I mean, it's kind of out there, but the sum total of the story, you it's hard not to get into it. It's, it's a great show. And these last three episodes we have, which I'm sure episode four is going to be a short one, kind of setting it. Episode five and six is going to be the battle, you know. That's probably what's going to end up happening. And then we, we end with, you know, whoever's alive and I guess the future. I don't know how you end this show. Um, and I'm sure before it's done, a lot of our heroes are going to die. People that you like are going to die. Um, I still see Danny killing John. Sansa still hates fucking Danny. There's still the regular things. I mean, I think they foreshadowed with the Onion King literally going after Lady Sandra, whatever the fuck her name is, the Red Witch. He was going to kill her after that fight was over and everybody's dead. There's only the living few people left that are in the castle. He had his hand on his sword and she took off her magic necklace that made her go back to being an old bitch. Um, and I know that just saying that statement, dragon magic, it's kind of geeky. But it's a fucking fantastic show. So I really suggest if you've never watched it, watch it. Uh, you can see it on HBO Go um, in, in due time. If you have DirecTV and you have HBO, you can watch most of the seasons. They took a lot of it off on purpose. I don't know why. They used to have all seven seasons online. Um, or you can do like I do. Go to eBay. <clears throat> About 70 to 100 some odd dollars. Cheaper than you'd buy brand new. You can get the box set, and um, I'll probably do a review on that when we get it in. I'm not getting it until the 4th or 5th, because the dickhead didn't mail it on time, uh, which is past my wife's birthday. But um, I'm sure there's a lot of in-scene extra stuff um, that goes along with it. But I may not like all the actors, they're all liberals, and I don't like all the things they say, but let's be honest, that is a fan-fucking-tastic show. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends and send segment suggestions or comments to foppodcast at gmail.com. Foppodcast gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Facebook page at Fop Podcast and the Twitter page at Fop Tony Reed. Our next podcast, we're going to shoot for Friday, 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 the 3rd of May, year of our Lord, 2019. Until then, have a safe week. Remember to disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. If you haven't watched Game of Thrones, burn through that bad boy. It's well worth the binge time. And tune in Friday for another episode. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.